Chronicles Live. Okay, guys, uh, hang on one second. We're almost live. Okay, we're live, guys. We're live. <laughs> All right. Yo. It's 7 o'clock already? Okay, so yeah. here we go. We hit it right on the button. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. My co-host is here. What's up, Bill Cannon? I feel great because I got a haircut today, man. I had to go to an undisclosed location to go to a uh -huh. secret barber to get my haircut. You believe that? All right. It looks nice. They did a good job. Yeah, thanks. Hey, so uh, so here we are, man. We're all gathered here. You know what? I'm going to close my door for one second because uh, Mr. Softy's outside. <laughs> I heard that shit. I thought I was imagining it. <laughs> I heard the Mr. the Mr. Softy song. Would you have to go to what after hours joint to get your hair cut? No, I actually went to Rockland County to one of my wife's friends. She cut it in her yard. It's ridiculous. You know, you All right, we're back. We're back. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to introduce our guest. He's a retired NYPD first grade detective. And no, then after he uh, retired from the NYPD, what? Never got first. One rank, he was second. Oh, second, second grade detective. Uh, Bill told me you were first grade. All right, whatever. I should have been a first, first grade. You're a great detective anyway. So, and afterwards, he went on. Uh, to be one of the co-hosts and stars of The Dead Files. It's, uh, he plays, he's a homicide detective, and together with a medium, um, they combine their six senses to investigate haunted locations where deadly crimes were committed. And uh, without further ado, what's up, Steve? Nothing, mate. What's up? How are no. you, Steve? Steve, you know something? In New York City, almost every building has a deadly crime has been committed in it. Yeah. You have a lot of business there. You could do 16 seasons just out of New York. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but not all our have anything to do with crimes. It's just haunted stuff. But uh, that's the only time I get to really enjoy the investigation is when I know there was a homicide in the place or if there was something around it that had a homicide. At least I get to talk to cops about it. And, so uh, you, go, you go to these houses. I was watching a little bit of it. And um, you go to these houses. Basically, she goes in first or what? you go in separate. Yeah. She picks up her vibe in the house and everything that she feels, and then yes. you come, you come in yes. and you, what? She she doesn't have a vibe. She actually sees and talks to dead people, like that kid in that movie, The Sixth Sense. Okay, she does right. exactly she, that. She collects all this, uh, yeah, these feelings that she has, and uh, she talks to them, and then you also go in at a separate time, and then you go around, you do an investigation, basically. Yeah, my end of it's all pragmatic. It's like doing a homicide. You know, the victim is the client. And it's like doing anything else. It's background research, right? So okay. it's basically doing all the, anything, anybody that died on the location is the, where I start. Okay. Deeds, research, all that crap. Like when you do a victimology during a homicide, which anybody that's worked a homicide, you know what the hell that is. Right. You, uh, you ever get an eerie feeling when you're in one of these houses that you feel like a ghost is there or something? Uh, you know, I get that question asked me all the time, Mark, and it's, you know, 
I get an eerie feeling when we go into a building looking for a guy, and I know he's got a gun. <laughs> but, uh-huh. I mean, you, Billy, you and I have been in that situation more than so, once. Um, so you, you never had to, uh, you never had a like collar a ghost or something. No, no collaring on the ghost. <laughs> I don't feel anything. No, I'm, I'll empathize with the people that live there, and I'll be like, "Yes, yeah, a creepy basement." But I'm like, unless there's a guy shooting at me in this basement, it's a basement. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Dude, how do they how do they pick the the houses? Because you go all over the country, right? Yeah. Well, we have a website now. We have a website now. We got, I think now we're up to eight thousand submissions. So there's a lot of criteria that's got to fall into it. A lot like we can't do an apartment in New York City because you have to get permission from everybody that lives in the building to, to film there. Wow. So it's all lawyer bullshit. Yeah. And uh, if you don't get that, you can't film there. Then you know people got to be told they may be on camera. You know the deal. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So we wind up having to go. And if let's say you have a whole house but you rent it, if the person that the landlord doesn't give us permission, we can't film there. So that's why most of our location locations are. Middle of America, homes that are owned by the client, and you know, basically that's it. But um, see, when you could... show up, when, see when you show up in Middle of America, are you like cousin Vinny is showing up at the doorstep? What is it, <laughs> bro? You got to see some of the looks I get. If I'm wearing, you know how I used to dress for work. I dress the same way on the show. So if I'm in a suit. That pinky ring is heavy enough to just wear out the whole wall. <laughs> You get that? Oh my God! The Gambino crime family just showed up in Neo Show, Missouri. So he could he could have played Salazzo in The Godfather. He has that great face. You know? Hey, let me ask you something before we get carried away with this. Um, once you retired, tell me take take me step by step by how this happened. Like, how did you actually land the show? Well, it's ironic how it happened because they did that 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 documentary ABC News twenty uh, NYPD twenty four seven. Okay, you were in that time and I was the featured detective on the first episode but this is after I went to Chief Fahey at the time you remember Fahey he was a great yeah. guy yeah I said to him I was the delegate I was the union delegate I'm like listen we're not getting fucking mic'd up we're not getting filmed you know it's not happening chief he goes yeah no worry about it. no problem and then they gave you a part and you were like all oh. right let's do this no that's not what happened what happened was I get called at the chief's office two days later he told me Commissioner Kelly Ray Kelly told him Either they cooperate or they're out of the homicide squad. Wow. Wow. So what am I supposed to do at that time? So I'm the delegate. All right, I'm going to have to volunteer to be mic'd up because I'm not going to put the other guys, but whoever was with me had was going to be on camera. And that's how it happened. So fast forward, it airs. It won an Emmy, whole nine yards. It was a pretty well uh, um, received uh, documentary. The 24-7, right? Yeah. Somebody saw me on... I got a part in that movie with Ed Norton and Colin Farrell, Pride and Glory, because of that. And then um, I got a call from a producer one day, asked me if I was interested in television because somebody he talked to at a network, he said, yo, you want to do a show about a cop, a retired cop? I saw this guy in this documentary. Call him. He'd be great for television. And that's how it happened. So I thought it was all a joke at first. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, we did a couple of pilots. Nothing to do with the paranormal stuff I'm doing now, but we did a couple of pilots and all the networks like he's too rough around the edges, he's too Brooklyn. <laughs> That's I, what I, I said when you got transferred to the homicide squad. When yeah. you transferred to the north, he's too rough Spread around the edges. Yeah. <laughs> too Brooklyn, he's too this, he's too that, he's too short, he's too fat. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> we had done a couple of pilots, and then I'm like, you know, and then I wind up working for uh, Merrill Lynch. I was working in their fraud unit, and then he called me up about doing a pilot for uh, you know, this 
paranormal thing. I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. I'm not doing a ghost show. Are you crazy? I mean, Billy, you know me. Would I ever even consider doing anything like on a ghost show? I mean, the way it, they're done. But then we talked about how we would do it. And I would just be the pragmatic side of it and not walking around with a flashlight going, Ooh, you know, all that bullshit. And then it would work. You know, that, that side of it's fine. But I wasn't going to run around like an idiot. I mean, my integrity, my reputation, my integrity, reputation, and who I am, and everybody knows me is all I got, right? I'm not going to jeopardize that for the bullshit money I'm making to be on a reality show. You know, people think you're rich when you're working on TV. But, but you know, so Steve, Steve, you got on a show, though, that at least you get compensated pretty well. Most of these ID shows, they just want to pull all oh. your great stories and pay you nothing. Well, yeah, you, they like want all Greg, You know, yeah, they want you know, they want to give you $500 to shoot for the day yeah. and you're doing 15, 14, uh, 14, 15 hours and you're like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? It's like working and doing security. Yeah. Oh. You know, how many times I get called by the ID network saying, oh, we saw your show. Uh, we want to interview you. You know, and they're picking your brain for, for free and they just want yeah. your stories, you know? I That's told a story about this guy, Steve DeShavi, I used to work with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, we had a lot of laughs, though. I got to say, that, that was the problem. We had a lot of laughs. So everything that you learned from being a New York City detective, you use all those skills in what you do now. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I don't have a dead body, but the client, it's like working a robbery case, right? Yeah. Victims alive, so you're interviewing them, and then the, the perpetrator is the paranormal. Like us using the computer or using CIs or whatever it is to get the information on who it might be, I use her. Yeah. She says she ran into a guy and blase, blase, and all this other, bada bing, bada boop, and then next thing you know, <laughs> it matches what I'm... I don't think middle America knows what bada bing, bada boop means. <laughs> I got to watch what I say on the show half the time because it goes over people's fucking heads. Uh, yeah, but I, honestly, I think that's the charm of it all. You see how the networks were wrong in the beginning. You oh, know, they were totally. offered like three shows, and they had the comment about he's rough around the edges, is he from Brooklyn? And then now all of a sudden, you're on a show, um, you're a hit, and you have all these fans, and nobody, like, they don't know what they're doing, basically. You're but, exactly the, what they wanted. And the thing is, my accent and my New York attitude is the whole draw for the most of the fans on the show, on my yeah. end of it, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you a funny story real quick. The guy that created the show, this guy, Jim Casey, he's at a, I guess, a, a, a conference when it comes to pitching new shows. So it's about four years into the show being on it. It's number one show on the channel at that time. Some couple of guys come up to him. Hey, good. good that's so great. You got a hit show going. And he goes, yeah, that's the guy you fucking passed on, asshole. Oh. He, said, he told like three different people there. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's the fucking guy you passed on because he was too this and too that. It was like his fuck you moment, which was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, I auditioned and Mark auditioned were both actors, and we get disqualified a lot because of our New York accent. You yes, know, and it's like yeah. I'm too old to get rid of my accent. I don't agree with that. I, I I don't agree with that. I mean that that's the, my forte. I'm not gonna get cast for Shakespeare, but when no. you're looking for a New York guy. You know, uh, a taller Steve, uh, Steve Deshami. You know, this is it. And thank God, I want to, I want to thank you for, uh, for moving to Fort Myers because you can't make a lot of the auditions that I go on. <laughs> I'm exclusive anyway on my contract, so I can't do shit as it is. So no, but Mark, for commercials, 
for commercials, all accent disqualifies us right away. Yeah. Like I said, it depends on what you're going out for. Yeah, if, you're looking, for if you're, you're a casting cop, New York cop yeah. or New York Brooklyn guy or whatever, you're perfect for it. Now, the only problem we have is when you go for castings like that and you go, you, you think you have to go over the top with the accent and you don't. You already have the accent. Just talk the way you normally talk. It's funny. I don't know if you guys notice it, but when you get an actor you know is not from New York and they try to do a Brooklyn accent and they just butcher the shit out of it. Listen, they, they, over, gonna... they overdo it. I yeah. was just on FBI's Most Wanted and I played a detective, uh, Detective Cortez. And, you know, the whole show, you know, I'm just a guest star on the show. But everybody else who's on the cast, you got the guy from Nip and Tuck. He's from Australia. Yeah. The lead actress, she's from England. Um, two other people, one was, uh, from, uh, Africa and, uh, everybody's speaking with a New York accent while we're, while we're taping or just speaking English, let's say. Man. And then as soon as they say cut, everybody's like, would you care for a spot of tea? And then like, yeah. everybody's like, goes back to their normal accents, except for me. This is me. This is my accent. I don't have anything. And they're all like, oh, you got such a great New York accent. It's like, that's all I got. This is the way I speak. That's what it is, jerk off. I'm not, you know, I'm not from Stockholm. But, but Steve, your, yours isn't even just New York. Yours is Brooklyn. And yours yeah. is Brooklyn Italian, right? Yeah. Hey, that do me a favor, motherfucker, right? <laughs> that makes it even worse. <laughs> I mean, early on, I kept saying use, right, on the show, and I kept having to edit it. And then, you know, I'm like, ah. So now when I say things, I got to watch that that Brooklyn doesn't, you know, like yeah, but that, drinking, that, that's your charm too, man. That is totally yeah. part of the whole charm. Piece. And you know what? Fans love it. Like, you know, I've been saying rap fasting for a hundred years, right? <laughs> or the filthy hoos, right? <laughs> How long have I been saying that? Since I'm 10. Right? Yeah. But for some reason, the fans, when I say it on the show, and they used to cut, edit all that shit out early on, they took it all out. Yeah. Somebody had the senses of, well, maybe we should put more of this in there. And yeah. it's like a big hit because people get a, a kick out of it. Because well, someone, someone commented on our um, on our site that you said to someone, "Are you boozing again?" <laughs> yeah, that's what. I like. Well, well you know, I, I saw a pink elephant come through the door. Are you fucking boozing? I mean, you know. <laughs> they don't hear these New Yorkisms, and especially like copisms. People love copisms, you know. Yeah, I, I, th well, I have that's to say, I think it's some kind of animosity, or in a way, or it's just like a control thing. Because the reality is, it's um, people in Middle America are fascinated by it. They're fascinated yeah. by the accent. You, you know, they're fascinated about the stereotype. And, you know, whoever did your still uh, when you're walking and you got the suit on and you have the reporter's um, memo book in your hand, the reporter's notebook in your hand, and uh, you just, that swag that you have, it just, and there's so much in that picture. There's so much swag in that picture. Yeah. It's attractive. I was on the job when they took that photo. That was a promo it shot. It looks like for, it is. You were. It looks like That was were. a promo shot for the NYPD 24-7. So that picture was taken in... 2003 or 2004. I was up That's in Manhattan North. Steve, that was up in, yeah, that was up in Harlem. Don't you remember yeah. when he came to the office? The girl yeah. and the guy were there to do the photo shoot? Yeah. That's fine. Like I went to the gym and I was pumping up in case they were going to clue me in on. <laughs> she was a good looking girl. I remember that. <laughs> when they came up and they wanted to do 24 7, um, and obviously you, you got into it because you said you were a delegate and you don't want to expose any of the, yeah. the other detectives that you were working with. Um, the detectives that didn't make the cut, as, as you were filming, did you feel any animosity, like they wanted to be part of it? No, everybody kind of got on board when they saw that the, 
the whole office got on board once they realized that they weren't out to hurt us. Because that was a big thing, you know. Don't take cheap shots. You know, Jeez. that was the biggest thing with them. Is like, you know, I'll leave the cameraman. And we did it a couple of times. I'll leave him up on 125th and Broadway. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You want to fuck around and try to make us look bad. But they made us, what they did was they came into the office. They made us see a couple of, the, you know, first cuts. Just to show us that they weren't trying to show anything bad, you know. And, you know, basically, we walked into an interrogation room. I unmiked myself. So they couldn't hear what the fuck I was saying half the time anyway. And when I thought, thought it was nothing major, I, you know, because it's fucking homicides we're investigating. It's not well, a, you know. By the way they edit it, they can make you look bad or make you look good. But we all know and, that. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, the other, we had a, another guest who was on NYPD 24-7, Lieutenant Vic Hollyfield. And oh, forget he about guy, it. He was the guy who threw the keys up on the car. Remember, he did a couple oh, Kelly lost his fucking mind. Like. Yeah. Kelly lost his mind when they had mind because of the cursing. I mean, it's the streets. Oh, when you <laughs> yeah. said, you, you made a comment, you said, welcome to New York. <laughs> oh, the girl, she goes, oh, you moved here yesterday? The guy, girl got stabbed. I go, well, yeah, welcome to New York. <laughs> I don't think he liked that either. That wasn't good for the tourist bureau, you know? <laughs> When I move from Wichita, this is what happens. Fucking New York. <laughs> hey, welcome to New York. Now go to fuck home. That's right. All these pioneers come with their covered wagons. All of a sudden, the Indians start shooting <laughs> fucking arrows at them, you know? That's yeah. what's happening now. All these, all, all these young libs are moving to New York City, and all of a sudden, crime is coming back, and they're like, oh, my God. I guess I'm not a liberal after all. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's a Republican, right? A liberal that got robbed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Changes oh. so but, uh, you know how many I, I missed the job. I, I missed the clowns, not the circus. But, hey, uh, how many seasons are you in on the show there? Like what is it, 12, 14? We're uh we just started filming season 13. We did two episodes when we got shut down for this China virus. And that's right, I said <laughs> I love it. China virus. <laughs> well, where did it start? Wuhan. Did it, Wuhan. Happen, did it happen at Wohop on Mott Street? <laughs> well, where did the West Nile virus start? On the West Nile. How come it's okay to say that? Yeah. You know, I, I don't get it. They're you had the Hong Kong flu. You also had the uh, the Spanish flu, which originated also in China. The reason why they called it the Spanish flu was because the king of Spain was uh, got infected by it at the time. They thought he was going to die. It, it wasn't didn't originate in, in uh, Spain. But uh, you got, the, like, I just named three um, uh, pandemics that started off in China. So... <laughs> they are, they're, for some reason, they're the origins of these things. You know, somebody got all bet out of shape because I said, I did a video after we were locked down for a while. And I'm like, you know, we're all dealing with this corona bullshit. And they took it as I thought the fucking virus was bullshit. Like fucking brain dead. This is what liberals think. You fucking know, brain dead. <laughs> talking about how dare you think that this, this is... This virus is bullshit. This is serious. People are dying. Who the fuck said anything that it wasn't serious and people weren't dying? I just said this is bullshit. Because we're the ones got to deal with it now. These fuckheads started it, and now we got to deal with it. So, Well, you know what's interesting? There was a cop. He posted a video. He wasn't a New York City cop. but uh, I, I don't know where, where he was from, but he felt comfortable enough. He's sitting in his cruiser on patrol, and he did this whole video about how, um, you know, as a law enforcement officer, you know, let's not uh, trample all over people's uh, I saw that. Uh, rights. You know what I'm saying? The social distancing and all this stuff. And um, they fired him. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but now, like, 
Yeah. Now he's been offered a, supposedly he's been, he has a lot of job off, offers now, this guy. Uh, well, good for him. But I mean, everybody knows when you're on the job, you just gotta, you know, you gotta bite your tongue. Sometimes. You, can't, you don't have freedom of speech when you're on a job. That's why no. when you get off, it feels so liberating to be right. able well, to even worse spot. Like I'm sure once this airs, I'll hear all from Hollywood about, you know, like I made a comment about how come it's okay for the left to stay whatever the fuck they want politically, the actors I meant, yeah. you know, and specifically. How come actors and actresses on the left can say whatever they want, but if somebody on the right that's an actor or an actress says something, you're chastised. And I'm like, it goes across a, a lot of different lines. For example, when they're uh, talking about um, this coronavirus, if you have a difference of opinion, you could be a doctor, a good yeah. doctor, a great doctor. But if you are not falling in line with Fauci or who, yeah. they'll take your video off of YouTube. Yeah. This doctor, you know the, yeah. Two doctors from California sat there. And they, they gave basically their opinion and as the um, about the coronavirus. And these are doctors who are working on the front line. And what happened was um, he, the video started gaining a lot of, uh, it went viral. And you two pulled it because it wasn't following what Fauci said. This is a funny thing. They had all the statistics in front of them as they were doing this. It's not like they were making up stuff as they went. These were, you know... CDC stats that they had in front of them that they were, they were quoting and they well, still gave them help. It just goes to show you that there's more to this. Uh, it's not only that, that uh, you, you have to follow exactly what they want you to do. Even if you're a professional, a doctor on the front line, they don't want to hear from you if you're going to disagree with the, what's going on right now. No, I mean, if, if you're not with the mainstream media's train of thought, they don't want to hear it and you get pulled. I mean, but yet, you know, Steve, all of us, we all take this virus very seriously. How can you not? When you're sheltering in place, when you go out, you have the mask on. I'm taking it seriously, right? I mean, I'm no puppy that, you know, I'm not a young kid that doesn't have to worry about it, you know? But yeah. in the same vein, they got to open this economy back up and this country's going to like turn into ashes, you know? I got news for you. I'm online. I applied for unemployment. They denied me. Then I tried applying for something else. Then I tried getting a loan because my ex-wife still got to get paid, regardless whether I'm working or not. So I'm dealing with that. And it's like, well, I don't know how long. I don't even know if I'm going back to work. Because if their criteria is one person gets test positive for COVID, we got to shut the production down. And then what do we got to do? I'm going to be stuck in Toledo, Ohio for 14 fucking days? You know, that's, <laughs> not, that's an episode and still not get paid because the episode's not complete. What are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Well, How do you well, go back to work like that? Isn't it ironic that the, the, the side that's pushing um, adamantly about stay in place and mind you, I'm not talking about, um, you know, just going back to 100 percent normal. I, I'd love to follow the guidelines in the future for as long as we have to. But I think as adults. We have to, if you walk, for example, if you walked into a restaurant before all this happened and you saw a rat or there was a big hole in the floor or something didn't seem small off or something, would you eat there? No, of course not. No. So if I go into a restaurant and there's no social distancing, nobody's wearing a mask, all this, that, and the other, I have the right to turn around and leave. Absolutely. 100%. So why are we holding these businesses back? 
it's ridiculous. And you know, I, I don't know if it's ever going to bounce back because I like, I was out of work in 2018 for, I think 11 months without a paycheck because of changing over the, you know, the networks. Finally, I get back to work, new contract, bunch of episodes. People are like, oh, you're, you're swimming in it now. Swimming in it? I still got to pay for 11 months of credit card debt that I went into because I had no income. Right. So people may be getting all these, uh, you know, $1,200 or whatever the fuck they're giving out now. How is that going to pay for five, six months without a job? Hey, no, one knows, no one knows your financial No, situation. hell no. But you, dude, dude, I was working for, you could ask Bill, what my schedule like, four jobs. I work as a concierge in a building, okay? I, w I was working in the police academy as an actor. I'm a stand-up comic. I perform five nights a week and any acting gigs that I get. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, and now I'm down to one source of income, which is the part-time gig that I held, thank God, because, uh, you know, I wanted to put my kids through college and they don't pick up no student loans. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? That's the only reason why I held on to that job. And now it's the only one that I have because like you, most of my pension goes to, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, my, my family has a roof over their head. No, and you know what I'm saying? You know, I got, you know, I did the, I did everything they said. I got my mortgage deferred for three months. I tried to get my car payment deferred, but that you needed a degree in fucking engineering to figure out their website. <laughs> it was out of control. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, I cut out my lawnmower guy. I just fired him because he ran over my fucking sprinkler heads anyway. So he's gone. So I'm going to go out and buy a lawnmower and start mowing everything myself. I've been taking care of the house myself. So, you, you know, you're making ends meet, but you're really not because it's still, you still got bills to pay. You know, the electric ain't giving you, the electric company ain't giving you a fucking break. You know what I mean? They're not giving you a break. Now, the point I tried to make was that, you know, everybody who's so steadfast about stay in place, stay home, stay home. Everything that you see, stay home, stay home, stay home. Well, it's 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 all the left. Meanwhile, they're all out of work right now. And they're all dragging their feet. A lot of these production people, we're not just talking about the actors of the TV shows. We're talking about all the people in the background. Those union guys. Those union guys are, are getting their unemployment. But uh, I don't think if you're a star of a show that your unemployment check is coming and it's what it used to be. No, no. And it's funny. I was we're talking about like how people aren't taking it serious or they're not doing what they're going to I go out. As a matter of fact, I posted a picture on Facebook, on Instagram the other day. Me and my buddy Ray were out at Home Depot and we had our masks on. And everybody's like, oh, the great looking mask. There's only there's that one douchebag. Oh, you're a conformist. <laughs> You're a conformist. You got your mask on. I refuse to wear a mask, and I'm this and I'm that. I'm like, go fuck yourself in front of Macy's window. I don't give a rat's ass what your opinion is. Go fuck yourself. Fucking guidelines, jerk off. He it's, said, it's go fuck yourself in front of Macy's window. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, yes, the other day I'm in fucking Target, right? I get ready to get something. I get online, and they have those fucking spots where you're supposed to stay. You know before you get to the register. Uh -huh. So I'm six feet before this fucking kid with his no mask on, nothing, tries to cut me out and go, where the fuck are you going? He goes, oh, oh, are you doing that safety thing? I'm like, no, jerk off. I'm here to kill the great white fucking buffalo, you idiot. What do you think I'm fucking doing with a mask on? And he looked at me like I had seven heads. Like he didn't get the fucking, that was trying to fucking call him an asshole. You know what? I understand that because you're in Florida. In New York, uh, 
everybody complies and it's like robots. And um, also too, in the sh when you go shopping in the supermarkets, there's an arrow. It could either be on the floor yeah. or above you and you're supposed to go down yeah. through the arrow. We and have I, that here. I, I made the mistake. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't know they were doing the arrow thing. So I just went down and then somebody goes to me, you're going the wrong way. So I thought I was going the wrong way, like on a highway or something. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> so then it dawned on me. So now what do you do now? You got to bang a U-turn and go back. Yeah, yeah. I got to go around to just get that thing I wanted. Well, it's, it's funny. We have Florida's, that here. Florida's not as bad. Has it, the virus hasn't hit as bad as New York City or New York City? No, no. I don't think anybody's as bad as New York City. I mean, but then again, think about it. You, you and I have been in the projects in, in Harlem and in Washington Heights. How do people social distance when there's 100,000 people living in one building? No, they don't. They don't. It's impossible. Those elevators, elevator those elevators are enough for you to catch Ebola and very, very and fucking rickets and uh, every right. other disease. I mean, the only thing you can do is maybe wear a mask and that's it. But still, I mean, it, you can't social distance. I think in the inner cities, distancing is not in, making sense. In the building that I work in, you're only allowed one person. They have uh, this three elevators. But it's supposed to be only one person per elevator. You can't do that in the projects. No. One elevator. It goes up to the freaking 16th. Imagine floor. these people. They're out all day. They want to get home. The guys working construction or whatever the fuck they're doing. They get home. They want to go home and go to bed and go eat. And they got to wait for fucking. And we know those elevators. Half of them don't work. Yeah. There's 18 fucking floors. 21 floors. I mean, come on. How they, you know, how are people going to deal with that? You know, at least down here, people, you know. It's pretty wide open down here, so it's look, it's not that bad. But like even the golf course courses. Um, talking to my friend Vito, who lives over in um, Miami. Now they got hit bad, really bad. He actually lives in the city proper, and uh, he says, "Oh, come on over, we'll go golfing." And he goes, "But you can't stay in the clubhouse without a mask, and there's no once you finish golfing, you have to leave. Nobody can touch your clubs, and it's one guy in a golf cart, so you can't even have." Your friend next to you while you're driving. You got to drive yourself. Steve, well, Steve, what, what was your friend's name? Vito. Vito? <laughs> what the fuck? You don't hang out with anyone Vito? else unless they're Italian? What the fuck? I think you knew Vito Bonsante. You know Vito. <laughs> 13. Yeah, my boy Vito. <laughs> I was going to say something, but now I forgot about the uh, that, that social distancing thing. Fuck. I hate even using that word. It drives me crazy. Those two yeah, words. Yeah. There's nothing social about distancing, that's for sure. It's anti-social distancing. Why don't you just call it what it is? It's anti-social distancing. So, you know, you heard that uh, you heard Coogan's closed, right? Yeah. Our favorite Washington Heights bar that we spent many a night tipping a few. They closed. It's heartbreaking. Matter yeah. of fact, when I did a thing on the show, the, the network sent out somebody to do a day in the life type of thing. So our last spot stop was Coogan's. And I had uh, Peter was on, David was on. Yeah. A couple of bartenders and the girls that usually waited on us when we ate there. So yeah. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe this place closed. We had Dave Hunt oh, did a, a show for us. He did two episodes. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was great. He was great. It was like New York history, you know? Yo, Dave. The bartender down in Greenwich Village, you know, worked his way up with the Pete's Tavern. And then what was it, came... Boxes? What was the no, place? It was, with oh, Jimmy Days. Before Jimmy Boxes. Jackson. You're right. Yeah. It was Jimmy Days before that. But before it was boxes, but it was he top bartended there. Yeah, but he actually then worked at Pete's Tavern, which we've been right. to many times. I tended bar there years ago. He tended bar there too, and then he took a shot at Coogan's with uh, Peter Walsh. 
you know. Yeah. We, we used to go to a place. What was the place you took me to, Billy, on up Upper West Side? The guy always had Johnny Cash playing on. Drove me fucking crazy. That was a young bartender, but he was really into Johnny Cash. <laughs> I no, remember so, we used to, go to, to see Norman, remember? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. That was a nice place, man. Yeah, it, it was. was. We couldn't afford to drink there. Nah, nah, we were like, oh, it smells good. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know when the bathroom has a, a, a stall, a, a private door, and it's like encased in granite? That's an expensive place. Yeah. If it's a place I like, yeah, hey, Billy, we're going to get the fuck out of here. We're going to wind up getting thrown out anyway. We might as well leave now. Unless it's OTA, we couldn't drink there. Though. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, you know what I want to say? I wanted to say about the beaches in California. Because yeah. you were talking about, so they opened up some of the beaches again. But you're allowed to go in the water, but you can't sunbathe. So you can, you, you got to run in the water, stay in the water as long as you want. And then when you come out, you gotta you gotta start walking. You can't like sit down and, and catch some. The whole thing is just ridiculous. They're making it up as we go along. Yeah. Well, you know what they did here in Naples, Florida. They opened up the beaches, and because all the beaches in Miami are closed, it's an hour and a half drive to Naples. Everybody from Naples, I mean from Miami, came here, and they just they didn't social distance. At, I mean, it looked like Coney Island on Fourth of July. Yeah. That's how packed it was. The fucking city shut the beach down because you had all these people from other uh, counties coming in. So I think what they got to do is if you don't live, can't show proof that you live in the county or that you're there visiting on vacation and you shouldn't be allowed to, you know, listen, I'm sorry your beach is closed, but don't come fucking destroy my beach. Now I can't open <laughs> mine because you jerk offs can't fucking keep things straight over to your side. You huh. just fuck over in Miami and leave my side alone. Hey, Steve, I'm listening to you. I feel like I'm back in 3280 Broadway on the sixth floor with you fucking going, going off on every case. What happens? Um, <laughs> what happens in New York City when uh, the, the the heat wave starts hitting and no oh. pools are open? How many cops? We got thirty thousand cops. What are you going to take the whole, the whole department and put them in to cover Rockaway, Brighton yeah. Beach, Manhattan Beach? Coney Island, what are you gonna? How are you gonna? Everybody, you're gonna get on the beach. They're not gonna lose control. There's no way in hell that in an inner city it's gonna ever not go back the way it was because no matter how much you try to conform to, like this jerk off in Target said, oh, you're doing the safety thing, <laughs> you know, a fucking moron. He couldn't be, he was like 24 years old. I mean, you a fucking moron. And he looked at me like I had seven heads. I'm like, but you know, but you know something, Steve. The police should not be in the social distance. No, no, not at I, all. Listen, I saw a video. Of, I don't know if it was bullshit. It might have been bullshit, but there was three kids on a roof, and there was a helicopter flying over, and they started saying, uh, you know, to social distance. Uh, somebody comes up, a cop with a dog. He's got an AK-47 on, whatever, a big rifle. And it's a helicopter, night vision, a guy coming up. The building is surrounded. I think it was, it had to be a joke. That can't be right. Yeah, for three kids on a roof. Fuck. Yeah, yeah I hope that was see, You see the kids sitting there, then they stand up when the cop comes and he's got his gun and they're all like, oh, all right. And they, they take him <laughs> off the roof. You know what? Some of these videos, they're doing, what they're doing is people that are fucked up. They got nothing to do all day. They're getting videos from fucking 10 years ago. 
and they're fucking flipping them in and saying, yeah, this is what's happening with the so this is how the cops are enforcing social distancing. Are you talking about the nightly news? Oh yeah, talking about the news in general. That's what they do every day. Every day they take a picture or some fucking graph from 10 years ago and they say it says it's happening right now. No, you you gotta be careful with social media because people just uh, wanna, you know, light your fuse, you know, and get you pissed off and they put stuff on there that infuriates you, you know? Yeah. Well, a lot of people get their news from Facebook. How the fuck do you get your news from Facebook? Actually, you can't get your news from TV anymore unless you listen I used to, to the get my news from, I get my news from NYPD rant. That's where I got all my news. <laughs> yeah. The, the cop channel. Well, it, no, it well, sucks, though, that we're in a society now that we have no... Like, well, when Walter Cronkite or Bill Buttel or Roger Grimsby was on TV, did you ever know what fucking political party they were with? Never. Wow. Never. Not one fucking time did you know who they voted for. All I kept thinking to myself is when we were growing up, watching the news, for some reason, I felt like they were telling us the, the news, the truth. That's, that's what it was. But that stopped a long time ago. But you never knew who, who they voted for or who what their political party was. They told you what the fuck was going on. Here the facts. Take it and go with God. That was it. Go on CNN right now. There's not one story about Obamagate, Michael Flynn, uh, you know, the, the redacting of the names. It's like it's not even happening. Yeah. Well, you and then if you go to the Fox, it's everything but and that's all it is. So you can't get that middle of the road. Just give me the fucking news. What's going on? I don't want your opinion. I don't care what you think we should be, you know, showing. What, what's happening in reality? Let me just tell me what's the truth. And you can't get what that anymore. Mark, well, you know, Steve, Mark hit it on the head. A lot of times the news, I, through omission, they by not reporting things, there's yep. a huge bias. If something could be a huge story. Let's not report it because that goes against our narrative. Look at Tara Reid. Look at Tara Reid, for example. This girl right now, it, it, they, they, it's like if you look at some networks, oh. they, they never talk about it. And the story's building and building. So now they have to start talking about it because now they're being left behind. Yeah. Even yeah. no matter oh, which way you want to cover it, you still got to cover it at some point. Well, I tell you the truth, like, I, the only news I watched on here, we have a station called Wink News, and it's Fort Myers, Cape Coral, uh, you know, Estero, Charlotte, Port Charlotte, that, this whole area, Southwest Florida. And their main thing is facts, not fear. That's their reporting motto, facts, not fear. So they, they just give me the facts, and that's it. None of this fear bullshit. And if something's not right, they'll report on it. So that's the only news I can watch. You know, I can't trust ABC. I can't trust these other stations. You can't go to CNN or MSNBC because you're going to get a total left thing. If you go the other way, you, you, you're never going to get the facts either way. You know. Well, let's that, talk about Rachel Maddow, right? She was like, that'll be the day that the fucking Trump sends a, a, a ship here at the New York Harbor. Two fucking days later, a, a ship is coming to New York <laughs> Harbor. <laughs> Nobody said a fucking word to her about that. She, well, Nobody said a word about. You know what? Though honestly, talking. though, if you wanted the wrong information, just she's always wrong. She's consistent though, and she still has a job. I don't get that. I don't think you they know. care. I don't think they care. I think uh, their job is to uh, is to um, to distract you, to give you different news. So they'll they'll give you everything. You know, Jennifer Aniston without makeup. You know what I'm saying? Which yeah. I looked at, by the way, and she looks great. Um, she looks great. <laughs> oh shit! But you know, oh fuck. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the, uh, since you're in Florida, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, 
Our uh, the lady who is the head of our I don't know what is she Bill? The, the health department the, the health department over here in New York City yeah we have oh we got it out our 1013 club is pretty big down here trust me email her now. so before the before this all happened you can watch the video she's uh it's just like in the middle of March she's telling everybody I better see you at the St. Patrick's Day parade uh there's no reason why we should be uh we should all be together and there's nothing to fear this is the lady that now is sitting there and is telling um, the Blasio and uh, I guess it's the chief of the department uh, about how, uh, you know, it'll be a two, I don't give two rats asses about the cops and their, and their, uh, their PPEs. Yeah, because oh, Chief Monaghan asked for half a million face masks, you know, for the cops. And she goes, I don't give a rat's ass about the cops. Yeah, Could you she imagine never someone saying that that's a member of government? Well, look at the government. It's nothing but a liberal-based government in New York City right now. It's just yeah. totally left. They can care less about law enforcement. They can care less about first responders. All they give a shit about is themselves and their agenda. That's it. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by it at all. And she's been a little flaky for, for years, this woman, from what yeah. I remember. So yeah, I, I never saw her face before until... Uh, oh, she's such a brute, too, on top of everything else, you know. So what was that? What was that Italianism you just used? A faccia brute. <laughs> faccia brute. <laughs> How about I love the word shadru? She's a shadru. Shadru. <laughs> it's funny though, because with my crew, you know, they're all from all over the country, but they they live in LA, so they they're uh, their world is very um, LA. You know what I mean? So their world is very uh, narrow-minded. It's very LA, which we all know what that is all about. But, you know, I love the crew, but sometimes I'll say shit and they just look at me like I'm a farm animal. I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you understand about what I just said? But Steve, you used to say some outrageous shit that even cops would go, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> <laughs> I used to get that clip from cops too, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we did have our labs though. I tell you, I we had some team. You just said that. Steve, where'd you first start working? In Brooklyn? Where, where'd you first yeah, I was in Brooklyn, at? Brooklyn North in the A4. And then uh, uh, back in, uh, then I wound up in Brooklyn South Narcotics. And then uh, got my shield in narcotics. And then I wound up in a 3 2 squad for about a year. When were you in a 3 2 squad? 95, 96. Oh, that's when I first came to the Bureau. Yeah, I was with Tommy Trezor, Eddie Clifford. Uh, Drew, know, Eddie Drew. I didn't know you were a detective in the 3 2. I didn't know. Yeah, that. my first case was a fucking homicide on 145th in St. Nick. My very first fucking case. Everybody wow. else is getting aggravated harassment, assault twos, and I'm getting fucking for, for people, homicide. For people across that are fans of Steve, the 3 2 precinct is Central Hall, and it used to be known as the Tomb of Gloom. It was one yeah. of the most violent precincts in the city, right? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I remember showing up on the I remember, now think of it, I worked in Brooklyn North, and the ghetto's in Brooklyn South, the next thing I know, I gotta drive an hour and a half to get to another ghetto, and I'm like, I pull up to the block, all the buildings are burnt out. The station house is basically the only building that's got living life in it on the whole block. And I pull up, I'm like, why the fuck did I have to get transferred here when I could have stayed where I was? It's sort of same shit. Who the hell did you piss off to get transferred from Brooklyn to Manhattan? That fucking asshole, Antonson. Remember Antonson? Oh, fucking, yeah, I remember him. That jerk off. They were cleaning house up in <laughs> fucking Burrow, up in 3-2. And he's like, 
was me and, me and uh, Kenny Sylvia both got transferred up there from, and we both lived in Staten Island, both Brooklyn guys. Yeah. What the fuck are you sending us to Harlem for? But, you know, it is, and I wind up leaving my, ending my career up there. So it doesn't really matter. Hey, but the, uh, North, the North was the best, man. Oh, yeah. yeah I, know, but how I, many- never, I never really fit in, and I hate to use that word, like the white neighborhoods. I never fit in the more affluent neighborhoods. Like I didn't fit working on the, as a cop. And because when I went to the tent, half of it was pretty affluent. The other half was, you know, bullshit ghetto. Yeah. But I'm like, hey, yeah, these people are pissing me off. They're complaining about fucking nonsense. I'm like, what do you, you got? Skateboarders on your fucking block? What do you got? Do you mind these people getting shot three blocks down? You know, what's wrong? Biggest, the biggest complaint in the affluent neighborhoods were the livery guys riding their bicycles on the sidewalk. That was the biggest complaint. I mean, we're getting we're getting people shot and killed up in Harlem, and you're worried about a fucking delivery guy riding on the sidewalk. The, the Chinese guy leaves his the Chinese delivery guy leaves his bike right in front of the, the steps. Or remember, they're leaving Chinese menus in our mailboxes. That was a big thing too. And yeah, they complained about Chinese menus it in the mail. It was like social distancing back then. Chinese menus. We should have read this was what was to come. You know. You know, some girl the other day she said to me. Um, Oh, can you call 911? I'm like, why? She goes, that guy's shooting up over there. There was a guy like in a in a doorway, like sitting down. He's he's shooting heroin. I said, you don't have a phone? <laughs> like, what? you call. <laughs> what are they gonna do? And sure enough, the guy got up. He walked away like five minutes later. After he was just looking for a spot. Yeah. What are you gonna do? It's, a, it's probably a city given syringe, right? City probably gave him the syringe. But just the, the audacity is like, oh, I'm not going to call 911 because I don't I'm want you calling me back yeah. and having I'm, to I'm deal with good to do that. Yeah, but you, 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 you waste your time here. Yeah. And the guy got up five minutes later, walked away. He was good. Yeah, he made himself straight. He's on he his. Him, he didn't get too far because then you know he started dozing off. So he took like two feet and then he just stood there for a while. Oh. Then he woke up and he walked another two feet and then he did this for a while. Then I'm not. <laughs> I thought he went to his job as, at his law firm. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man! Hey, uh, why don't you read off some of the uh, the people that are tuning in right now while I refresh my drink over here? Uh, Mary Riesling. You know her, Steve. She's all over this shit, man. She oh. loves you. What's Mary her name? Riesling. Riesling. Oh, I love. She was a client. Yeah, she's. Uh, Absolutely, uh, all these women love you, Steve. You know, they, they love hearing your fucking Brooklyn accent. They love you. Know, I don't know. They say you're the you're a man's man. I don't know. Someone <laughs> on here actually, someone on here actually accused me of being gay, like I was in love with you. He was in my fucking team. Whoever said that? So fuck you. <laughs> That's right. We, we shared many a long nights on the fucking. That's in the right. Gallery. We chased many a perp inside. We woke up many a homicide perp at four a.m. at their beds. Yep. How dare you, Dead Files fans? Fuck you. <laughs> oh, don't say that to my fans. I was with a real police. With a real popo. <laughs> you know, I was going to yeah, say. history. A lot of fans don't realize our history. No, they didn't know. Do you remember? I was going to remember that case. I'm going to bring up one case that was sort of spectacular. And I'm going to give the people credit whose case it was. It was Maddie Thorson and Kim and Benoni did an amazing job on this. It was a body in a suitcase in Harlem. And when oh. we opened up the suitcase, the body had no head. No head, yeah. Yeah, no head. Remember that? But I remember I remember when you were doing the 49 for that. Tommy Trezor screams out, body recovered, 
It goes, body in suitcase, head, not recovered. Make sure you put that in. The moral of the story, quit while you're ahead. <laughs> oh, we got that guy on the fucking receipt or something. What did we get yeah, him on? No, what happened was we were all smart enough to know, don't touch the suitcase. Yeah. We had the office of the chief medical examiner came there. They threw the whole suitcase into their truck. They opened it up, and inside her jeans pocket was it said it was a note that said Rosa and a telephone number, and that's what cracked the case. Yeah, we, we tracked the phone number to a bodega in Brooklyn. Was it you Brooklyn remember? or I think it was Brooklyn. Yeah, and and then we showed the note to this woman. She goes, "Oh, I gave that to this woman that sells ices on the street." That's the right. Those big blocks of ice, you shave the ice and then pour that shit in it. That's what this lady did. Called Peter Agua. Peter Agua. That's yeah, what exactly. basically cracked the case yeah. open. And then they figured out, they traced it back. They Anyway, long story short, they traced it back to Corona, Queens, and her husband killed him. We asked That's what it was. What, he lived, what'd you he do lived, with her head? He goes, I don't know. I threw it in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, right when we grabbed him. Hey, guy, where's the head? Then we look at the refrigerator, make sure it wasn't You know what's freaky? That was about the fourth or fifth body in the suitcase I had during my homicide career. Yeah, and half of them were no heads because they yeah. couldn't fit that fucking suitcase. No heads, no oh, piragua. A piragua. And I remember but, two kids found that suitcase and they freaked the fuck out. When they yeah, because they up. thought they were like, oh shit, there's got to be some good shit in here. And then they, yeah. being small holomites, they opened it up, they went, oh shit. <laughs> They're going to pin this homicide on us. They cut her up by the middle of the day, too. It was the middle of the afternoon we found yeah, that body. Yeah, unbelievable. But the 3 2 squad, they didn't flinch because they expect shit like that. Yeah, we, we, uh, we did a good job on that case, though. I remember yeah, you and I great. followed up with the, with the number. That's how we found out who the fuck it was. Yeah. But then yeah, I remember we, uh, got yelled, was, we got yelled at for making too much overtime. Uh, I remember I, I, I was probably in the 2 4 squad, or maybe it was the 2 6 squad. And uh, I remember you coming down and helping me with a case. Probably two four. Yeah, I remember. I, I was in the I, I was in the two four and the two six squad. You remember I, that? Mike? You remember that? Mike? You coming down and helping me with a case? And I was so intimidated by you guys because uh, you know I was new to the squad, and you guys with the with the suits and the pinky ring, and uh, you know Bill Cannon used to wear that hat, that Popeye Doyle hat, and uh, you know help me here. And when you guys would come, you just like come bursting through the door. You know what I'm saying? Homicide. <laughs> what are you, what are you losers doing? <laughs> oh man. And you know something? You gotta have fun doing that shit. Man. Oh yeah. It, I mean, it takes its toll on you. You know your body. Well, bro, you know, how many times you, you work two tonight? Two, three days straight with fucking oh, no sleep. It kills you, man. It knocks the shit out of you. you know? That's why I laugh when people are like, aren't you afraid going into these haunted houses? So any fucking idea what my background is or where I came from or what I did for fucking 22 years? I mean, like, I don't think it gets in their head that, guess what? My life was a lot more dangerous before I did fucking TV and started hunting. Yeah, but you know what? There's a lot of hurry up and wait in TV, too. What's that? There's a lot of hurry up and wait in TV, too. Oh, so. sucks. That's, that drives me. That part of filming, I think, is the most irritating for me. I can get shit done in fucking three hours. With interviews and everything. But no. The sun's setting. We got to wait for this. We got our fucking lighting. 
oh, we got to set up over here now. And I'm like, and I'm sitting around, you know, jerking off for 20 fucking hours waiting for these guys. To I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Let's go. Come on. That's, uh, that's why you make the big bucks. You used to yeah. say that about the bosses. That's why yeah. you make the big bucks, Sarge. Yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> hey, fuck you. Don't you have the money? <laughs> yeah. You got the money. You got grade. Fuck you. You should do whatever they ask you to do. So uh, any word on production? Like any word on when you guys going to get back? You know what? Uh, when we were talking about it earlier, I had a, a call with my executive producer, and he was like, we were thinking about maybe June. But it's already, what, May, what's that, 14th? 14th, yeah. It's already halfway through May, and there's no talk about what day we'll start. And then they're talking about, well, if we fly, do we have to get everybody tested first? Do we have to test the clients? Do we have to test everybody? It's going to be impossible. First of all, who's going to fucking do the testing? Who the fuck's going to pay for it? And if somebody does come up positive, what do we do? Shut everything fucking down yeah. again? It's either you go in balls to the, you know, balls to the wall or you don't do it at all. You know, Steve, I, I, you that know. sounds like, remember when you, you worked at Fresh Kills during 9-11, right? Yeah, yeah. Fresh Kills was this big dump that they would take all the debris from the World Trade Center and dump it. And then we would sift through it looking for bodies. We didn't have masks at the beginning. Right, we had shit. All right, here's the procedure. After you come out, you gotta uh, take a shower, and then we're gonna spray you down. That lasted for one fucking day, and they were like, ah, yeah, that was the best. Yeah, you're gonna wear a Tyvek suit. We're gonna spray yeah. you, and you put another suit on. Right, that lasted about an hour, and they were like, this shit's not. You know, At the beginning, none of us had masks or anything. Wow. We doubled it. Unbelievable, right? I mean, I mean, even at down to ground zero, how long before we got missed? Three, four days before everybody got a At least. I was there the first day, so were you, right? You were there yeah. The first day? yeah. I was no there masks. No masks. I was there. Well, I went down the first day, too, but my job wasn't... Uh, we, we were sent to Jersey, to Hoboken, to set up a triage. Well, it's funny. Oh, that's where... Um, they broke it down Bay after... What happened? Uh, got run over by one of the radio cars. Yeah, Sergeant Bayrock from South Homicide. Good yeah, they had to take him over there in a, in a fucking, um, the, what do you call the What's the police in the fucking harbor unit? Harbor. Harbor had to take him over to Jersey. And yeah. I think they took the Hoboken general. That's where they, they fucking set him up. Well, yeah, well, he was one of the only patients there because we broke down that uh, that triage there in like five hours because they were... Everybody died. There was no, there was no recovery. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, St. Vincent's, all these other hospitals were all ready for everything, but nothing, you know, ever came of it. It was funny because I remember getting triaged that night at the hospital across the street from the police academy, and their biggest concern wasn't that my eyes were beat red from the, the, you know, from the steel dust. They were concerned because I was angry, and they thought I needed emotional fucking help because <laughs> I wanted to fucking suit back up in my marine fucking fatigues and go kill somebody. And they thought that was the biggest problem. Not my lungs, not my fucking eyes, nothing like that. So the girl, the doctor comes over, we're going to have somebody talk to you. I'm like, about what? Well, you know, you seem a little distressed. I'm like, get the fuck out of my face, doc. I swear to God. Just fucking give me some eye solution. Get this out of my eyes. Get the fuck out of my face. Because I'm angry because we just got attacked. I get that when I go to the Mount Sinai physical. You know, they have you fill out these forms yeah. and they, they say, how many drinks do you have a week? So, of course, I blew up the fucking machine, you know? And then the, the one doctor, she's rushing, she goes, I'm a little concerned about your drinking. <laughs> yeah. 
fucking kidding me? When you see what I seen, lady, maybe we'll talk about drinking. Yeah. I mean, what is this number with the drinking? Who every every fuck? time every year you have to do a, a physical. No, no, no. What I'm saying is just that these unrealistic numbers. This uh, two oh. to three drinks a week. Who the fuck does that? Well, first of all, they consider anybody that drinks every day an alcoholic. Now, my grandfather and my parents drank wine with every fucking dinner. They weren't alcoholics. They had two glasses of wine with fucking dinner. That's the European lived, way. Lived to 100, right? <laughs> there was not, my grandfather was 89 when he died. Drank a glass yeah. of wine, every, two, three glasses of wine a day. If not I'll take more. Eight, nine right now. You know, I'll take 89 right now. But, you know, so their, their way of, listen, I'm I'm 5'8". I'm supposed to weigh 170. I, I tip off at 220. So where the fuck am I going to lose 50 pounds? You I think I came out of this room at 170 pounds. <laughs> with swag, though. With swag. Swag. <laughs> Plus, no, you know, Steve, I don't can. know if everyone, if everyone realizes you're a Marine. What's <laughs> 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 a Marine, always a Marine. I, right. I graduated boot camp. I weighed 202 pounds. But according to the fucking stats, I should weigh 170. Yeah. I was in the best shape of my life. It's all fairness, though. You got a big head. My head is huge. <laughs> all your weights in your head. <laughs> I got weights in my head. Rocks in my head. That's why I got... <laughs> I'm Italian from Brooklyn. Of course I got rocks in my head. How tall are you? 5'8". <laughs> 5'8". Uh, Proud of it. I don't give a fuck. People think I'm 6'4". I'm like, what are you crazy? I'm a guinea from Brooklyn. What's, what's wrong? <laughs> hey, what kind no, of I, my parents were born in 1920 and 1923. The the pool of the gene pool of tall kids didn't come out the way after I was born. Hey, uh, Steve, what, what kind of car did you drive in 1985? 85, I think I had a 77 uh, Grand Prix. Wow. With the crushed velour interior with the swivel bucks bucket seats. <laughs> did, you, did you have that fucking Italian horn on the mirror? I did, the Italian ah! pepper. The pepper. <laughs> I got that at the car wash, and right under that was the disco ball. I used to have oh, I used to have an 83 Coupe de Ville. And and uh I had this bow that I got from the flower shop. Remember the bows they used to put yeah. in the rearview mirror? The thing was so fucking big, I couldn't see when I made a right-hand turn. And one time I ran this lady over. <laughs> and uh thank god she uh she didn't make a big i didn't hit her heart but she didn't make a big deal i was i was a kid you know she could have ruined my whole life but it was because of the fucking bow the the best is when you went to the cost the, the car wash and they had mixtape number 18 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. it was all the disco songs from the 70s yeah 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 that was great did you have, did you have an eight track player or what I originally had an eight-track player, and then because my first car I ever owned was a '75 Cutlass Supreme, uh, with, with silver with black interior, and that got stolen. And then uh, I went to the service. I came home. I went to get the '77 uh, Grand Prix, but that came with the eight-track. So I ripped that out. Big shot. Got himself a cassette player. Uh -huh. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. And all, all of that just to play Jerry Vale. Mix number 18 from the car wash. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. and Frank Sinatra tunes. You have to have the high fucking fidelity. But you tell people about growing up that way, they look at you like you're, you know, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. You know, like, you, you know. You go down, what was that? 6th Street? You used to drive down there? 86th Street, yeah. You used to go down there with the yeah. car? Yeah, Avenue U, 18th Avenue and 86th Street. That was where the car wash was. 
right where the L turned onto the Utrecht Avenue. Yeah, I'm from Astoria. We used to take that ride over there once in a while when we got sick of Astoria Park. Yeah, people would drive and they call it the Cougine Lean because you, you drove <laughs> like... <laughs> you know something? When I had Trezor, LaTrenta, and Karina in my team, I used to call them, when they'd go out, I used to call it the Cougine Auto because all they ever did was go out to fucking dinner. I couldn't, I could never find them. I'd be like, where the fuck is the Cougine Auto, you know? Especially LaTrenta. All he cared about was dinner. I remember my last night on the job doing a four to one. There was a fucking homicide suicide. That Chinese family on in the two six projects. I remember the, that with the coal, right? Yeah, him with and his coal. wife and his three kids. He fucking put the, the hibachi. That's the case. That's the case. I remember you from. I was in the right, two six. So hibachi, fucking right. So now I'm looking at. I'm like, tonight's my last night on the job. Do I really got to look at five dead bodies, three of them being kids. So the <laughs> goes. Come on, fuck it. Let's go to fucking Coogan's have a skirt steak. <laughs> so, I'm like, you know, I'm goodbye, dead bodies. See you later. You know, he only says to me one night, he's working, right? He goes, hey, Sarge, he goes, I'm going to go to Queens and meet my family for dinner. And I go, Joe, I go, go ahead and fucking do it. Just don't tell me about it. Because <laughs> if something happens and you, something goes fucked up, I'm going to deny that you ever told me that. Yeah. Don't fucking include me in on your fucking larceny here. Joe you know? was the best when he go hunting and go, yeah, and caught an 800-pound black bear. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was taking <laughs> a shit in the outhouse and he shot a 10-point deer from the toilet bowl. Yeah. I love that one. I was taking a shit in the outhouse and I seen this 800-pound black bear. <laughs> like, Joe, from what I know, they only get about two, 250 at best. <laughs> like, how, do you, how do you have the only black bear that weighed 800 pounds? He's in Isla Morada right now in Key West because he couldn't make it back home and he's fishing. He's you know what? He, fish every yeah. day. he had messaged me on uh, Facebook to see if I was going to be able to get down there, but everything shut down. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. It would have been fun to see him, though. That would have been like a fucking Italian Mardi Gras down there. Oh, uh, fucking character. I go, Joe, what are we doing here? He goes, oh, that's right. It's your last night on the job. <laughs> Let's go. What do you say, guys? Let's go to Coogan's, get a skirt steak. <laughs> you know, and my dinner? last night on the job was looking at five dead bodies and then a fucking steak dinner with Joe. You ever eat dinner with that guy? Oh, he yeah, holds, it's an He holds court. He has to be the one to order. And he holds up his hand like this. We'll have a two dozen baked clams. We'll have, uh, really, what do you want? What do you need? You know? <laughs> <laughs> he holds court. And I was like, oh, I guess... That's you know, it's not even rehearsed. That's what you do with your family. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's out of his mind. But you know, tell you what, we had a cast of characters, but everybody we worked with, probably some of the best detectives in the world, as yeah, far as I'm. Great, man, everyone was. We had a great look. Our team, we had the the A team, right? Yeah. And that didn't stand for the, the alcoholic team. That was the A no, team. No, no, we we really did. We we, we good, uh, man. there wasn't anything we couldn't handle. No, nothing. You know, that something we I used to see. When we go to a scene, a couple times we work with Major Case and the Hate Crimes Task Force. And after a while, they'd come and work with us. And then after a while, it was like, you guys just go out and get us some coffee and donuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were like, who the fuck are these guys, you know? Yeah, we're the guys that get shit done. We're the ones that solve yeah, things. Everyone came from a numbered squad. That's how you become a great investigator. Yeah. Working in a numbered squad. If, you know? if you've never caught a homicide, and never, if you've never been in a detective squad, and I've said it, and I get a lot of crap from this, but I got my gold shield in narcotics. 
I wasn't a detective. I may have been a detective in narcotics that investigated major crimes as far as narcotics went, right. but I wasn't a detective. No, when I was a detective, when I got to the detective squad, sure. when I got a warrant squad, yeah, I was in the warrant case- squad. I was in Manhattan warrants, and then they, uh, they, you know, the, the squads were light, and you know, uh, Carrick was the police commissioner. He loved warrants, but then when the other guy came back. He didn't, you know, he wanted to backfill the, the squads. So he got rid of, all, he brought back, we had 140 pe- people in Manhattan Warren. <laughs> and he brought it back down to 40. And 100 other people had to go to squads. Nobody wanted to go. And then once It's not a place to be. Who wants to be in the fucking squad? It's basically patrolling a suit. When you yeah, think it was about five it. years there. It was torture. I wanted to drive my car into a bridge abutment every day. Well, especially when you got 30 fucking cases and, you know, they're breaking your balls about the 30. I had 70. Well, you know what I'm saying? Just for argument's sake. I mean, I had to hide my my cases up in the drop ceiling. Because yeah. we had a drop ceiling in the, in the robbery room. And then they would always well, uh, my lieutenant was, would come in there and read the cases. That's what I'm trying to tell people. I mean, you you may be have a gold shield. You may be a detective. But you're not a detective until you're in a detective squad catching cases. Yeah. To me, hey, but you, know, you know, Steve, one of the, one of the best training grounds to be a uh, squad detective is RIP. Because yeah. RIP does unbelievable work. And people out in the country, uh, New York City used to have a, uh, an investigative team called Robbery Investigative Program. Right. And it was usually, when it started out, it was one sergeant and 12 detectives. And that's where you really cut your teeth on investigation. And then you got to start from there. Yeah. That's where I had to go. That's, that's how you really learn how to be an investigator. RIP was, was where it's at, you know? And I, when I, I was in the 2-4 RIP, which was a suit and tie RIP, I got transferred to the 2-3, and all these guys are dressed down in jeans and sneakers and shit. I was like, Patty what the fuck is this? Patty Porteous. Like, oh, Jimmy's around. Patty! Where's Patty? Patty! Yeah, Detective Pat, man. I was like, I don't think he even owned the suit, you know? Patty always had the, the Brooklyn North Cross. He never did his tie. He always did like this. <laughs> he had that, that double-breasted suit. I was like, where'd you get that fucking jacket from? <laughs> A <laughs> double-breasted suit. Double-breasted suit is funny. I tell you, 2-3 had a great... That was probably one of the fun... The most I couldn't wait to go have to work with those guys because that, that was a great, was a great The two three, I went there in 1997. I was there from 97 to 2002, and then I went to the Homicide Squad. I loved the two three squad, man. Yeah, the guys great, were great. Great squad. That, that the two three squad was a Homicide Squad. It really, yeah, everybody. Yeah, Charlie Freitag. Who was the weirdest? Um, very well schooled. He lived over there in Stytown. And that was a weird Billy squad. Dunn. Billy Dunn. He's still there. Yeah. I not remember his Father name. Father Dunn. We call him Father Dunn. Monsignor Dunn. Actually, he's yeah. in my phone as Monsignor Dunn. That's why yeah. he's still in the two three. Billy Dunn. Oh, hey, wasn't the the two three yeah. though that the 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 squad room was unusual? Like the cell was like in the middle. Yeah, it's as you come into the left. It's on the left. Yeah, the, the squad room was all there. Then they had another room in the corner. Yeah, there's, there's the stairs where the lockers are. As a TV. It wasn't a good design. Yeah. Uh, weren't we working a homicide where they put us in uniform because it was a blackout? Do you remember oh, that? Remember the blackout. I'm not sure. Man. After 9 11, homicide up in the 2 3. And I'll never forget this. So we got to go back to the office and get put our uniforms on. Now we're trying to do a fucking homicide with fucking uniforms on. 
And my Corfam shoes, the shiny shoes, were so old. I'm walking into the two, three squad, they explode. Oh, yeah. They used to have shit everywhere. And now I got, I'm basically walking on my fucking feet. <laughs> you know what that happened? I went to a funeral and I thought it was because the, um, and I was in my dress, my dress gear. So I wore the shiny shoes. And I think what happens, the heat yeah. makes the, those fucking, the bottom, the rubber on the explode. That happened to me three quarters of the day. Well, yeah, this was the summertime. It was right in the middle of that's when the blackout happened. And I'm like, no. So now I got to run back to the station house, driving a car. I mean, my office, driving a car with fucking my foot, no shoe. And I had now I got fucking $200 dress shoes on with my uniform. (laughs) I was at a funeral. And then you know how you go out, you know, you hit the, uh, you you might stop off for a call one before you go back. Uh, you know, wherever you came from to your command. I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> and then before you know it, I'm like there for five hours and I have no shoes on. My feet are literally touching the floor and I and for five hours drinking. And everybody's screaming like, what the hell is this black shit all over the floor? Like, <laughs> you know, Steve, I kept my 9-11 shoes even when I retired. I still had them. I couldn't part with them for some reason, man. What's that? The what? My 9-11 shoes, the ones I wore traipsing through the towers. You know? On a left, I still have that suit. And the shoe. I had a, it was an olive green with burgundy pinstripes going through it. I'll never forget it. It was a um, Jones of New York suit, and I still yeah. have that suit. I can't wear it. Where were you, in South Homicide then? Yeah. yeah. I still have the windbreaker. I got the picture right there. I still got that windbreaker from uh, 9-11. When I responded down there, I I was in the 2-3 squad back then. I wasn't in in homicide. I had just gotten the bagels for the guys at the office when the second second plane hit. And then fucking, I'm like, the first plane hit, all right, let me go get bagels and coffee. Well, the bagels anyway, down the block. And I came back and they're like, as I walk in the door, a fucking second plane hits. I'm like, then we get in the car and we take off down there. Matter of fact, oh no, yeah. And then we get down and we get down there quick. And then I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? You know, we all know what happened after that. We don't even got to eat the bagels. Yeah, never even got to eat a bagel. We were fucking, we didn't you never eat. Got I, to put, you never got to put the mozzarella cheese in the no, sauce. No, no roasted peppers. <laughs> no roasted peppers, no mozzarella, my everything bagel. I would break go to the bagel store sometimes. I'd be like, yeah, let me get an everything bagel. With fucking hey, you shut the door. Some roasted peppers. Like, what? You heard me. <laughs> a little oil and vinegar. How you doing? My you know, I went down there with Billy Hicks. I went down there with Billy Hicks, Jimmy Zarakis, and Z Jennings. And we were all in uniform. We drove down the FDR drive, which was empty because they emptied yeah. it for everyone except emergency vehicles. And as we're driving down there, Billy Hicks says, Let's park it at South and Pike because if we drive right up to it, you know, we'll never get out of there. And that decision, that may have saved our lives, you know? I parked the car. I was driving. I parked our car underneath. You remember where that battery battery park uh, parking lot was? Yeah. Yeah. At that overpass? Yeah. Where you can go either to to FDR or go up the West Side Highway? I parked under there, and then we walked. Ours was the only fucking car that responded that made it. They didn't get crushed in, 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 in the, the towers coming down. Yeah, that was the only car that was covered in soot. But I mean, you ever, we you were, ever think you ever think of why you ever think of why 
you lived through that and others didn't? Like, what was the reason? You know what I mean? You just it's yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's like well, with the cancer too. Yeah, well, my guys have died now with the cancer. Yeah, I have friends. I take that, I take that shit seriously. I go to my my physical every every year, and I'm on top of things. Me too. I have GERD and I have sleep apnea. I mean, it's not it's not cancer. I got, but... I got to get biopsied every two years because of the Barrett's from the GERD. Yeah. So it's you uh, it could be cancer. You go to Mount Sinai? What's that? You go to Mount Sinai in the city, or you go? To oh, the... down here. I get I get myself tested here. They have it set up in Florida where you you go you get your physicals done down here, and then they have a doctor you go to after the physical to discuss the the test results. Yeah. Then they have uh, LHI doctors all over Florida. So when I have to get my, uh, actually I'm due now, but they postponed it because it is COVID. Yeah. I got to get scoped and a biopsy done every two years because if it gets larger and it comes back cancerous, I got a problem. So. Yeah. You know, I'm on top of it though. I don't let it go. But, no, um, you got you to stay. You know, all of us guys have residual effects. From the World Trade Center. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm on that Brio. I'm on all kinds of Brio. I got I got a nebulizer machine here for my lungs with the, the butyrol. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. Yeah. No, we all have it. You know, we all have some kind of uh, issue. My friend Bobby Gretler, man, he's got cancer bad. He's, uh, I think he's on his 48th or something like that. Uh, radiation or, or Crazy. plus radiation. It's, it's I mean, we're bad. coming up on Years. It'll be, be 20 years. Not this year, but it's almost 20 years. 18 months from 20 years is happening. We're talking about a guy who's six foot five. He he weighed like 280. I remember we used to go out to clubs. Remember there was, there was always that one club during the week that was good? And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and he had the locker. Remember the locker with the going out clothes? <laughs> oh, yeah. You always have to have your going out clothes. He, always, he had his going out clothes on when he showed up for work. So uh, I did. My clothes were always ready to go out. He was always ready to go out. My my favorite line from Bobby was, uh, I remember one night it was pouring buckets, man, and we were supposed to go out that night to some club in Long Island that was good on a Tuesday. Imagine that it's good on Tuesday. So fucking place is packed. It's probably forty and over, which is like that's your crowd right there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you would have fit it. But anyway, so um, so I said to Bobby, I says, Hey, you still want to go out tonight? It's fucking pouring buckets. He goes, yeah, of course, Mooch. He used to call me Mooch. I said, yeah, but there's not going to be any girls there. He goes, dude, this is what separates the true pigs from the wannabes. Oh, any girls who are out tonight, they were true pigs, man. <laughs> Guys always had their way of, think, of rationalizing why we should go. You know, you know, Steve, what's funny is that we would always go out drinking during working hours. And we wouldn't yeah. think twice about it. But then it got really tight where that you were risking your like your pension and everything if you went out drinking under a, a certain regime. Well, well I was already left, gone by then, thank God. You, yeah, you, no, but after you left, I, I chilled out for the last like, couple of years. I didn't go out on duty anymore. Yeah, but I mean, if, we, if we're working our asses off 90% of the time, that 10% downtime, fuck you, I'm having a cocktail. Leave me the fuck right. alone. Exactly, you deserved it. And it's funny because like with the show, I may drink on maybe one night before on one of the days, yeah. But not all nights. I've never ever had a drink while working ever. Yeah. The entire time I was on the show, unless it was the end of the day of filming, and we were happen to be filming at a bar, I may have a glass of a bourbon with you know the, the owner of the place. I've never had one drink while doing the show. 
Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's probably why the show sucks because I, I don't drink. <laughs> and you obviously have a pretty damn big audience if it's going to 13. Imagine if I drank while I was on the show. <laughs> but does, does 13 seasons equal 13 years or no? No. So we have 13 episodes. Reality shows are 13 episodes a season. That's what it goes from 6 to 13, 13 being the most that you picked up for. So saying we're not 13 season doesn't mean 13th year. Not like when we were growing up where 26 episodes was the entire year. And then each year you had a new series. So with us, it's uh, 13 episodes, but we've been on air since September 23rd, 2011. That's wow. when we first aired. Yeah, I got out in 2012. Wow. Yeah, 2011 is when we aired. We started filming in November 2010. And we did the pilot, the sizzle, in 2009, in the summer of 2009. Yeah. That's how, so we're going back 11 years when I started actually doing this stuff, which is crazy. I mean, if somebody would have told me, well, Steve, you're going to be on TV for 10 years, you know, nine years, whatever the fuck it is. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, they jerked me off. Stop. Bullshit, you know. Yeah, but it's you've not been, you've already that would have been eating my words. You've had a great career with this already, you know. It's, it, I find it. I'm always astonished by it. Like for me, I'm just like, every time we get picked up for a new season, I'm like, really? You know, the numbers don't lie. The fans like the show. I mean, it's a unique show, even though it's a paranormal show. It's unique in a way that, <clears throat> like they have shows where there's cops that are into the paranormal. I'm not that guy. I'm yeah. just the opposite. You know, um, just let me do my job. Right. You do yours and we'll figure if we can come up with something. So who seems to be um Who's better, the Long Island medium or um, Amy Allen? Amy's the best, in my right. opinion. Amy, Amy has no clue where she's going. Now she knows the state because she needs to dress for it because she used to pack fucking five bags of clothes to figure out where she was going. But it doesn't matter. She knows where she's flying into. And how many times we flew into Cincinnati? But Cincinnati Airport's in Kentucky, right? And then we wind up Thinking she, she thinks she's going to Ohio, and then we wind up in some ass end of fucking Kentucky. Or we fly into Chicago and wind up in Wisconsin. You know, st stuff like that. So she has no clue. And I know that for a fact. I mean, know? I believe in this stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not doubting it. I, I, I believe that we're, you know, there's, there's, uh, oh, there's energy and there's feelings in certain yeah. rooms. And I, some people can't get out of this uh you know, for some reason, they're sticking around. They got work. Uh, they got to finish up some work. I was never a person that always said, oh, there's no such thing as ghosts. I was never that guy. But I never had an experience. I never have since I've been on the show. And for me, it's like, okay, I'm not saying there isn't stuff going on. I may not believe everything the living are telling me about what's going on. But I think that's our background. Never believe anybody 100%, right? no matter what the case may be. And for me, it's just like, all right, you say you're going through this, and then if she could verify it, fine, even better. But if, you know, you're telling me you're seeing pink elephants, and then you're telling me you're taking five quaaludes a day, maybe there's a problem besides the fucking ghost. I don't know. You know what, though? Honestly, there's a movie here, and it's a comedy. I'm working on one screenplay right now, but I'm already thinking about uh, this thing. I mean, you picture, like you, for example, Rough around the edges, you get this job on a TV show. 
And the next thing you know, it's really a fucking ghost. It's really funny. And you and you got to fucking solve the case. I mean, that's the whole movie, yeah. right? I come up to my, I don't think I haven't thought about that. I come up to my house and the fucking lights go on by themselves. And I'm like, oh, you motherfuckers followed me home. <laughs> I got one that I'm working on right now. I got to, I got to, uh, I think you could play Matarazzo. He's going to play the chief? Yeah, yeah, because uh, there's one scene in there where I, you know, I got, you know, I got to do what I got to do, and you know, I, the the chief tells me I don't have an out. So uh, yeah, that would be good. I'll have to shave. Yeah. Let me ask you something. What do you think? Uh, there's so many of these shows on TV about homicide, you know, and one of the ones I'll just tell you the one of the ones I think is the best, and I really good because it's the real characters is the first forty eight. I can watch. Oh, yeah. I don't watch it. I've <clears throat> watched bits and pieces of them. But that's about the only one that, I mean, I want to mention any names. There's one show out there that's not on the, it's apparently stopped now, but I've been to that fucking city. They got like five homicides in an entire fucking year. And they, whoever works there, it seems to think, you would think there's a thousand homicides a fucking month there. Are you talking about Lieutenant Joe Kenda homicide? I don't, it. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. But everybody hey, no, it's just like, how does Colorado have so many fucking murders, man? Colorado Springs, I've been there. I was on a case there with, what's his name, from the 2-3. We went there to get that girl that uh, murdered that 94-year-old woman to beat her with the fucking, um, the lamp. Yeah. Me and, uh... uh Rytag, Dunn? No. Fisher, you know, Tommy Fisher. Tommy Fisher, yeah. Me and Tommy Fisher were in Colorado Springs. We locked up the girl. We went to her house. And the Colorado Springs, are like, you guys, you guys got a warrant? I'm like, no. Accusatory instrument. We can't have a warrant. Well, we can't grab her. I'm like, do me a favor. Just knock on the fucking door. Just do that for me. So he knock on the door. And, I, and they go, is, uh, I forget. I, I'm going to say Yvette because I don't remember her name. Is so-and-so here? Oh, she's in the back. Yeah, we're, we're from the Colorado Springs police. I want to talk to her. As soon as she comes to the door, I see her face. I fucking snatch her and I pull her out of the fucking Yeah, hallway. but as soon as she heard your fucking accent, she knew you were well, that's why, those things. Yeah, that's why we kept our mouth shut. Me and Tommy kept quiet and let them talk. But as soon as I seen her, I grabbed her by Colorado the fucking throat. Springs. You two Colorado Springs douchebags, you want to have fucking But you know what? They were looking at me like, what the fuck? I'm like, cuff her. Let's get a cuff. I cuff her up and I'm like, fuck it. She's ours. You know, but, uh, Steve, that was always the craziest thing. People don't understand that to arrest someone inside an apartment, you need an arrest warrant and a search warrant. Yeah. So what we would do as New York City cops would say, excuse me, would you mind stepping out into the hallway? We'd like to speak to you for a minute, right? I said, yeah, I told the guy, just tell her you don't want to talk in front of the kids because there was kids in there. I'm like, don't yeah. talk in front of the kids. Come on out. So she, now, she beat a fucking 94-year-old woman to death with a fucking with a lamp. Yeah. I wasn't going to be coddling her, so I grabbed her by the fucking throat and I threw her up against the wall and we cuffed her. And these guys are looking at us like we're fucking savages. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, bro, you weren't at the fucking way. autopsy and you weren't at the fucking I'm crime fucking scene. Sanctuary state, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it worked out good. You know, they, she gave us a confession. We went to trial with it and everything, but it, it wound up being a good case. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, me and Tommy Fisher. Matter of fact, after we locked her up, we had three days to do nothing. So we went fucking pounding. Oh, yeah, you guys had a... That's nice. Uh, we wound up at, the, at this place, some martini bar. And the owner was from Long Island. So once he heard us talking, he knew we were from New York. And we're in suits, though. Yeah. 
Next thing I know, we're in this guy's fucking office, passed out. We were drinking <laughs> fucking Yoo-Hoo martinis that taste, you know, chocolate martinis that taste like you. See, that was, that was good about, that was what was good about being a detective. You guys got to travel, man. I never, yeah. I never got a trip. The only trip I got was Willimantic, Connecticut. The <laughs> of the fucking northeast. What are you talking about? Did me, did me, Jimmy Zaraka send you up to the fucking Bronx to find a kid that would have a Connecticut. I was like, what the fuck? Why don't I ever get a trip to somewhere nice? You know? I remember that day too. We were in the two three. We had the no, we were in the two five, and we were looking at the where the kid lived. The mother had a fucking uh, sixty one a complaint report, and she had a sister that lived in the Bronx on the complaint report. So I called Billy up. I'm like, bro, she's got a sister that lives in the Bronx. <laughs> he goes, all right, we're headed over there now. Sure as shit, the kid was there. You're like, you know oh, thank funny? God we got him. You know what's funny? All the stuff you do during your police career, if you don't write it down, you forget a lot of amazing Well, I don't remember a fucking thing. Like, unless we're talking about it, like, people go, oh, you must have a thousand stories. I'm like, yeah, I got them somewhere in here. Yeah. But I've, know, had, I've, had, I've had detectives and cops come up to me and say, hey, Sarge, remember when we did this, that, and the other thing? And I'm like, yeah. And you know, I have no yeah, recollection whatsoever, you know? Yeah. I had it. I had a, I was doing comedy in a, in a, in a show, the Eastville. And one night, uh, one of the, uh, the waitstaff there, uh, she said to me, she goes, oh, I, I didn't know you were a detective. You know, you must have handled some really interesting cases. And I go to her, nah, most of them were bullshit. And then it just, and she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, ah, they're usually just fucking nonsense. It's like, uh, you know, uh, and it, the whole bit, it just became a bit like in my act about how I always wanted to catch a homicide, but I just had bad luck. Like they always happened the night before or right after I left. And, um, you know, it was just about most of the cases I, I caught were like, just nonsense, you know, there was like, uh, and it, it's a 15 minute bit. But just because this one girl said to me, you must have, uh, you know, investigated some really interesting cases. I'm like, no, nah, not really. Well, you know, I get, I get that from fans all the time. They'll hit me up on Messenger. And my fans, I tell you, I love my fans. And they are, they are by far, Dead Files fans are probably, and I, I only say this because I mean it, but they, they are the most loyal and most, attentive fans I've ever seen on anything. Not like I've been on 20 shows, but you know, I get a lot of messages from I want to thank you for your service in the Marine Corps and in the police department. You must've seen a lot of things in homicide. You must have a thousand stories. I'm like, yeah, I can't think of one of them right now. If you asked me to tell you a fucking story right now, and we got how many stories? Hundreds of thousands of stories. But the thing is, is because it's uh, your, it's uh, it's your, what your brain does to avoid the PTSD, because if you, yeah, you shut it out, stop to think about like, for example, you, you passed over the, uh, the homicide, the Chinese, you know, those yeah. people, I think what happened with them was they went under with their business and he couldn't show face, you know, those, uh, the Koreans, they, they take a loan out from the, uh, from their church to start a business. And, you know, it's not supposed to go under. But you remember that case. Remember with the hibachi? Suffocated what, yeah, yeah. What happened was, I think they gave the, everybody sleeping uh, uh, pills and shit like that. Then they all the, all the kids passed out. And then just in case, so they make sure they don't wake up, they they, they uh, turned on the, uh, the, 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 the coals. 
Right. And then he put the fucking the rugs and uh, the towels underneath the door. So they, yeah, and they yeah. were all in, they were all in bed together. Yeah. It was sick. It was a crazy scene. It was fucking sick. But you know what I'm saying? That visual, because I saw that, um, that, that could fuck with your mind forever if, if you think about it all the time. But right. you don't. The only reason I remember it is because it was my last night on the job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I remember that. I went out and had a steak dinner. How fucked up is that when you talk to people that don't know what you do? Well, how can you go out and have a steak dinner after seeing five dead bodies, and three of them being kids? I'm like, well, what we did. Yeah. And, and not only that, but... <laughs> you know something? Everyone, I think, that's done X amount of years on the police department has a level of PTSD. Oh, I, never, I, never thought I, I never really thought I had it, but I was teaching a class at a college, and I was going over this homicide of this young 13-year-old girl, this 13-year-old girl. And in the, in the middle of presenting it, I started weeping, and I couldn't control myself. And I was like, holy shit. Where did this come from? Yeah. Yeah, where, exactly. Where did that come from? Because I, I never, ever, you know, felt emotional over that case before. But when yeah. I started teaching it, I also didn't hit me. And that's, that's PTSD. You know, yeah. I talked about, I had a one-man show. It was called 20 and Out. And I did it in the Fringe Festival, and I traveled around the country with it. And I had a 9-11 story in there. And the, the whole show was, everything was going great. You know, all the fun, it, the thing was so tight. Boom, boom, boom. Laughed the whole thing until 9-11. And mm. then one of the things that I remembered about 9-11 the most was when, um, when we had to go meet with uh, FDNY, the chief of FDNY, and uh, they did it at the Marriott. And uh, afterwards, if you were, uh, you know, a family member of a uh, firefighter who was lost, you would bring some of their DNA. Right. So the firefighters went into a locker of their, uh, their person that was missing, and they would collect the hairbrush, whatever they had in their locker. And then I'm sitting there at my desk, and then uh, in, this, in the Marriott, and then one guy comes over, a firefighter, and he drops a bag. It was, it was a huge bag. And I look in there, and there was 15, or 13 or 15 firefighters who had, who had perished. And each one of their uh, packets was in a Ziploc bag, a fro you know, one of those big freezer bags. And it had their name on it, all their, whole, all their pedigree information. And he asked me, he goes, is there anything else you need? And up until that point, I, I couldn't cry. You know, like for some reason, we're talking oh, two yeah. weeks in and I never burst a tear. I was busy work and I was always wondering, how come I haven't cried yet? How come I haven't cried yet? And as soon as that guy took off, man, I just, I fucking lost it. And whenever I did the play, man, I, for some reason, I, uh, that PTSD, it hit me right there and I could cry right on cue. Yeah, it, it hits you when you don't expect it, you know, at the moment, you know, never hits you when you're out in public or like you're, if you but sometimes out of nowhere, you'll see something on TV or you'll smell something or you hear a noise or something, any little thing that may trigger it. And all of a sudden, it takes you right back to that place. So that PTSD is as much as we all try to believe we don't have it. We got it. We got it bad. But I, I don't dwell on it. Like people tell me, oh, I got into a car accident. I got PTSD. I'm like, shut the fuck up with your car accident. <laughs> PTSD bullshit. Uh -huh. I want to fucking hear about you got into, uh -huh. you got rear-rented, you got PTSD. Shut the fuck up. 
Yeah. If I give the back of my hand. Are you kidding me? Uh -huh. I mean, that drives me fucking insane. I'm like, you want to know what PTSD is? I'll tell you what fucking PTSD is. So when I hear that, I'm like, oh, I, I was sick when I was a child, and but I'm good now, but I have PTSD. Okay. All right. There's got to be levels of PTSD when people, every, everything's PTSD today. Yeah. So people are throwing it around like it's 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 free. But you, you know, PTSD, in my opinion, if you don't, there's no, I don't want to hear you tell me I got PTSD from, uh, my husband used to yell at me all the time. I got PTSD. No, did he we've, we've, seen, we've seen some horrendous, horrendous shit, you know, and that's always imprinted on our brains, you know, yeah. and we all deal with it in a certain way. I mean, I always felt that I dealt with it well because I had a good family life. You know, I could yeah. come home. I worked out. I had outlets to deal with it, you know. But what about the old-time cop that wasn't married, lived by himself, and that's that's the guy who commits suicide. Right, yeah. Right? And how many guys do we know that committed suicide? You know? So many I can't even talk about. Yeah. I think I'm up to like 27 or 28 guys I knew personally that killed themselves. Yeah. So you know it's a lot of guys that's one of the things, and, too. That's one of the things that Mark and I, besides doing this show for reasons that we want it to be a real hit show, is that we want to help cops. We really do. We want to get involved and help cops with PTSD and have them have an outlet to reach out to people. Well, this is know? my whole point, Billy. How do you think a cop feels that's been in shootings, seen dead children? And then some asshole says, well, I got PTSD because I got rear-ended last week. Are you fucking kidding me? Right. Let me tell you what PTSD is. And, and so you minimalize it. And you trivialize the fact that this person has PTSD and I have PTSD. You're going to compare your so-called PTSD to what I've seen and what I've gone through? That's like telling a combat veteran, uh, you know, my uh, whatever. My wife yells at me all the time. I have PTSD. Hey. Yeah, well, I've been in Fallujah for fucking two years. Yeah, exactly. Do you, uh, want to compare the two? Do you, you know uh, what a victimology is, obviously. And, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of victimologies that have to be made out for these people. <laughs> they fucking, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, relax, bro. You, you know, you you haven't seen, it's, a, it's, it's toughening up too, man. When you take on the job, a job like this, you have to have tougher skin than the average person. And um, what happens is you, you hide it, you hide it, but. At the same time, it's like, you know, if you have a moment there, like what you said, you don't think about it. But if you really wanted to sit around and fucking dwell on it all day, obviously it's going to bother you. you and we up. all know those guys because we've seen them. They were miserable all the time. They didn't know how to laugh. And those were the guys you're like, when you heard they killed themselves, you're like, well, I could have seen that one coming. But those you know, guys, yeah. I worked with a couple of guys. I worked with, uh, I can think of one guy, Peter McGinnis, man, and he was uh, the happiest guy you'll ever fucking know, man. Every day I came into roll call, I'd bust his fucking balls, he'd bust my balls, and, uh, you know, we left it there, and then the guy, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. You know, you don't know. You don't know what somebody's really going through. No. You see this tough veneer, you know, but there's sensitive souls out there. They're not supposed to. Uh, they're not supposed to see see this stuff. Well, the problem is, cops are the last people to ever ask for help. We're the last ones to ever say, "Well, I need help. I'm, I can't deal with this." 
maybe if you, I, I have a very close, tight-knit group of friends down here. And, you know, Nelson Aponte, I got a lot of guys down here that my buddy Ray Marino, we're, in a, we're a tight group of retired guys that we've all been through the shit. Was it Nelson Aponte in the North Homicide Yeah, Nelson, yeah. North Aponte, yeah. Now, Nelson, we've all been through shit. You know, Nelson was Chris Hoban's, uh, you know, he, he was his undercover during when he got killed. So there's a million things. So what happens with us, I find that when we're alone, one-on-one, not in a group, we're able to talk shit out. When we're in a group, everybody puts on that fucking joke. And we try to, I think the whole joking around is just a, it's a mechanism we use to just kind of. Defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, try to shield ourselves from thinking about the horrors that we've seen. So, and I tell you, I hate bringing up the show again, but it's like, I get, I get insane when fans are like, you're so brave for going into these haunted houses and I lose my fucking mind. Yeah. I'm like, how am I brave for going into a haunted fucking house? Nobody's throwing me up against the wall. Nobody's grabbing my fucking hair. You know, nobody's giving me scratches. You're the one going through that. You're, I, I understand you're suffering, but. How, how brave am I for walking into a fucking house that's supposedly haunted? Talk about what I did before I became, you know, a guy on the dead files. Then I'll, then I'll tell you bravery, or I'll tell you, and I hate using that word bravery, but I'll tell you when I did feel brave because I did go into this place, or I did, and nobody ever feels brave. Am I right or wrong? You always feel, oh, shit, we dodged the bullet. We didn't get you killed know, today. Steve, you, know? you know something? There's a feeling you get. I'm sure you felt this before. When you're in a real, real dangerous situation, yeah. you get that sick feeling in your uh. stomach. It's almost like when you play football, the butterflies in your stomach before a game. If, if, until yeah. that first hit. Yeah, until that first hit, and then you get rid of the butterflies. Yeah. But same thing, you get that sick feeling in your stomach when you're in a real, real dangerous situation. And then when it's resolved, you're like, oh, okay. But that's part of PTSD too. Yeah. You have these real highs of being scared shit. And well, then you got to come down real quick, you know? I always tell people, you know, describe police work for me. I'm like, all right, eight hours of boredom with 10 seconds of ass on the line. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's funny, like, I remember I worked in the task force. And when I was a rookie, you know, we'd be mobilized. And you could hear the radio, you know, that we need a pause here. And there's people freaking out on the radio. And we're mobilized there you got like six eight guys in a van one guy's reading the other guy's sleeping the other guy's eating and then i'm sitting in the middle of all these fucking veteran cops i'm fucking nervous as shit i'm listening to the radio and nobody seems affected by it at all so yeah. i was like oh i guess i'm supposed to calm down now and deal with it when we get there we're gonna get there and that's what happens you develop this thing it was like you know what i'll deal with it when i get there there's no reason to worry about it right now what's the worst word you heard keep them coming central yeah, keep it that's right. But keep you know, coming. Fear, fear is a good thing because yeah. fear makes you very sharp. Yeah. If you can overcome fear, then you will defeat it because fear, it's almost like that adrenaline you get before you hit someone in a football game. Yeah. It's that fear is what it keeps, you it keeps you, yeah, it keeps you sharp. You know, I mean, it's funny. Like, we're all retired guys. We hang out at the cigar bar when it was open and we all fight for that seat. That's facing the door. <laughs> like, who wants to get there early enough to get that seat facing the door? 
Uh-huh. But then you realize who you're surrounded by. You don't worry about that though if your back is to it. But you, you know, Steve, what's really funny about that is that I've been I've been off the job for you know eight and so, eight years and change. But I always feel the safest. And I don't know why I need to feel so safe, but I feel the safest when I'm around other cops. Oh, I do too, hundred you know? percent. And I feel at ease, and I feel calm, and it there's nothing like that feeling, you know. Yeah. When I'm at work with the show and I'm around the crew and there's a, let's say there's a nasty fucking neighbor that doesn't want us there and he's yelling and screaming, <laughs> I actually feel like I'm on my own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't feel, I, and I love the crew to death, but these aren't street guys. Right. These are fucking cameramen. They're sound guys. These aren't street guys. Right. These aren't, they've never been, half of these guys never been in a fucking fist fight, let alone try to take somebody down fighting for, you know, trying to fight for you. Right. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. I, I don't feel any backup here. I feel like I'm alone. That if something happens, not only that, but all the eyes look at me. You know, you're the all cop. All the eyes are on you. Yeah. Well, uh, what are you gonna do? He's the guy who's the cop. What are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah. So my attitude is, listen. As soon as you hear this guy yelling, call the fucking cops and have them deal with it, because I'm not getting involved in any of this shit. You don't pay me they enough don't. to be cop and fucking, yeah. you know, dead files guy. So, hey Bill, why don't you uh, acknowledge the uh, the people that are that are tuning in while I refresh my drink again? You know something, Steve has uh, many of the people watching tonight are fans of uh, Steve Deshabi, and if I didn't uh, outline what our relationship is, is Steve was in my team in Manhattan North Harbor. I'm a sergeant. Steve was a second grade detective. I had a great team in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. Steve was one of the detectives, and uh, I depended on him a lot. And uh, we got along great. I don't know because uh, we like to drink, both of us. (laughs) And, you know, look, I understood him, and he understood me. Yeah, we got the job done, though. Yeah, we had a great relationship. And when the the whistle blew, we were there. We we responded to the whistle. He was a great detective. His partner was John McAndrews. And uh, how's John doing these days? I haven't heard from him in a while. He's down in uh, by Myrtle Beach. Uh, he's doing good. I hope he's, he's a, I hope he's watching tonight. No, he's a grandfather a couple times over now. Good for him. John, yeah. hello. How you doing, man? Good seeing you. We had a great, you know, I talked to Mooney once in a while. I talked to a couple of the guys. Um, but I think about those days and, and, you know, I wanted to go to work. Yeah. I love the job, man. I love yeah. it. I wanted to go to work. When I didn't like going to work anymore was when I said, yeah, it's time to pull the plug. But I got passed over from first from first grade so many fucking times. I got with the political bullshit. People wonder why I'm so fucking angry about politics. Yeah. Because politics is what destroys people's spirit. Yeah. It destroys people's spirits. I mean, I should have been promoted to first grade to techno 10 times over. And, and not just me. A thousand other guys yeah. and females out there, and we all know who they are. And we just got passed over because, oh, so and so's driver, or it's the girl that does the statistics for this chief, or the guy that answers the phones for this jerk off, has to get promoted because yeah. they sit behind a fucking desk playing with their fucking thumbs all day, and the jerk offs yeah. on the street kicking ass every day get passed over. So that part of the whole politics of it just, just ruined my spirit that they wanted to just wave that carrot in your face so you stick around longer yeah i mean how do you not 
support. And, that, and I came from the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps was based solely opposite. Everybody else's job was to support the grunt. Everybody else, every other unit was to support the grunt. In my opinion, the squad, patrol, those are the grunts. Guys on the street are the grunts. The females on the street are the grunts. And the job was set up to do anything but support those people. It was all about... Steve, you're right. Everything about the police department is to get off patrol. And they always tell you patrol is the backbone of the department. It's actually a few inches south of the backbone. It's the asshole of the boat. <laughs> so is the squad, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, even though we all depend on patrol so much, and I respect the shit out of patrol, uh, always did, you know, because they're out there 24-7 doing the, the, the dirty work, you know? Yeah. And the squad, you know, we have our suit and tie. We go out to, we go out to meal. You know, we're out. You got the pinky ring. I'm Irish. I don't do that shit. But we did our time. Yeah, but we all to get to where we were, we all did our time doing patrol. Of course we did, yeah. You know something? I always thought the best cops in this job, and I'm prejudiced to this, did did their time in anti-crime. Oh I was probably my camelot on the job. I did four yeah. years in anti-crime. Yeah. The best anti-crime to me was probably the most fun and in exciting time I had while I was working the streets. And I was well, a kid. Please tell, tell, tell your audience what anti-crime is. Oh, anti-crime. That's right. The audience has no clue if they're not cop people. Uh, anti-crime is a unit, a plainclothes unit within the precinct that only works within that precinct, works usually 10 to 6 and then switches over to 6 to 2 at night. And your sole job was to make robbery arrests, burglary arrests, and gun arrests. And if, God forbid, there was a shooting, which happened a lot, you try to make an arrest on the shooting. Your whole team was supposed to make a bunch of arrests every month. And usually it was a sergeant and five or six guys in each team, and the teams alternated. But you were the actual go-to, on-the-street, plain-clothes guys in the precinct. You knew all the junkies. You knew all the – you knew everybody. And that's what was great about that unit. You knew all the people, all the players. And you basically – you know, when you hit the streets and they saw your car, people, you know, even though you were in plain clothes, everybody knew it was up. And it was just, a, you know, you could get him. You know, a squad would usually come to the anti-crime unit. If they needed information on a homicide, they'd sick the anti-crime unit on the street to get some information on it, which was which was fantastic because you got to work with the squad. You got to learn a lot of things. By far, and I worked with, me and my partner went from a radio car into anti-crime together. So we, you know, I had the same partner for seven years straight from the academy. So it was a great time. Uh, Probably the best unit. I don't even know, do they still have an anti-crime unit? Yeah, they actually do. You know, there's no more street crime, but every precinct still has an anti-crime. They still have an anti-crime. Thank God they still have that, you know. But that to me was uh, a great unit. Going from out of uniform to, you know, I remember having fucking... I remember back then I was wearing a goatee. I thought I was Serpico, right? Without being a rat. No, so, Steve, you're so, you're so right. To me, I did six and a half years in anti-crime. I did three years as a cop and three and a half as a sergeant. Right, because it was I a four-year limit. Love, I loved anti-crime. And to me, it was almost like a holy experience to get out on the street in plain clothes. And I thought the sharpest cops on the job went from anti-crime into the detective. Right. Now, the only way to get to anti-crime is if you were in uniform and you made a lot of arrests, a lot of quality arrests, not the bullshit, like, you know, panhandling stuff. 
Yeah. You made a lot of quality arrests. You went to anti-crime. So that's the quality of guys you had in the anti-crime unit. These were active, arrest-oriented guys. So street crime. No, we're talking about anti-crime. Street crime was great, too. Street crime, I was in there for one year. Because then I got promoted. But street crime was a citywide unit. They were outstanding. But they disbanded them. I forgot what year. It was over the, uh, I think, the Abner Louis. No, not Abner Louis. Uh, Amadou Diallo shooting. Yeah. That's when it hit the peak. Well, because... Uh, yeah. They kept flooding the, the precincts, and at some point, the guns were gone. So they were just stopping anybody who was out at 2 o'clock in the morning. What the fuck, yeah. what the fuck are you doing now? <laughs> it's four well, degrees. Street, but street crime is very, very effective. They're going to have to bring back a, a street crime or an anti-crime unit once crime starts getting out of control again in New York City. Well, I think once uh, Dick Begg de Blasio's gone out of New York and Cuomo's gone, I think you're going to see the tide turn to like it did when – we went from a Dinkins to a Giuliani. I think oh, it'll. Steve, you don't. You don't know, man. There's, there's at least three clowns in line. Oh, they've got Eric, they've got Eric Adams. Uh, there's this guy named um, uh, Corey Johnson. I know. There's, there's no hope. Scott Stringer. Three sickening liberals are in line to be mayor. Yeah, I mean, you look at New York City when Giuliani, as much as I wasn't a fan of Giuliani, because, you know, he fucked us with the, with the pay Money. raises. Yeah, zero, 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 zero. Yeah, zero, zero heroes. He was a real scumbag. But if you lived in the city, <laughs> I mean, he was. Giuliani was he a was. fucking scumbag yeah. when it came he to He had Steve. one good day. Steve, he was a shadrul. He was a shadrul, is right. Let me tell you he something. One good day, bro. 9-11 yeah. was his day. That was, he was a That's motherfucking it. working man. He was a real motherfucker to the working man. He didn't give us no fucking raises, nothing. But yet, he wanted everything done. But in, in his defense, if you were a citizen of New York City, the crime rate went from, what were we at, 24 fucking 100 homicides? By the time well, he was done, we had less than 700, 650 well, we homicides. Had, we had like 2,200. And then, and then when Bloomberg came on, he kept it going. Yeah. He did. To me, that, that was his downfall. When they, when they asked him about... Um, Stop and frisk. Stop and frisk. When, when they asked Trump about stop and quit, uh, stop and frisk, he said we should implement it all over the country. Yeah. And he's president. When they asked Bloomberg about stop and frisk, he was like, well, you know, it was a mistake in hindsight. You, no, you got to own it. You fucking wrote it for 12 years. He wasn't just he wasn't just the mayor of New York City for eight years. He figured wow. out a way to get another four years. So you got to own it. You owned it for 12 years and now you're going to shit on it. And, and, but that's why he's no longer a candidate for president. Oh, he got abused. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking abused. You, you know, but you know something? With stop questioning Frisk, they abused the shit out of it. And who wound up holding the bag? The cops that are on the job right now. You know? Because they overused it and they abused it. Now these guys because got... We were collecting data. We were collecting data. Yeah. And Joe. we were getting new apartment numbers. Uh, we were getting new addresses from these people. And that's why the average guy had to go out like, you know, I'm in the squad right now, and they want five stop question frisks. Why? I'm in a fucking squad. I got 80 cases on my desk. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I stop somebody and I question them, I'll fill one out. But why do I need five every month? So what are you doing? You're driving around. Hey, you, what are you doing? Come over here. What's your name? Uh, just for the fucking thing. You don't realize it's it was the job's fault. So they, they fucked themselves the job. Yeah, without that a doubt. That was a good tool. Got abused. I'm sorry. One of the things we just wanted to talk about was 
Steve, and ask your opinion. Like, where is policing going now? Not just New York City, but nationally. Is there uh, an effort by someone to sort of uh, put the police down? An attack on police nationally, actually. I, I think this Antifa is a big problem. I think um, across the country, it's not just Antifa. It's, a, it's just people in general... Law and order is no longer an option. It's just everybody's, I want my human rights and I don't care about anything Wait, else. You know what? You say that. And at the same token, right now we're in this uh, pandemic and you have, I'm surprised at it, but you have cops that are going out there and they're enforcing all around the world. I watched the video. They should London be. cops, the Bobbies. The, nobody's wearing a mask there, by the but, way. In a and they're separating people and they're surrounding them. And there's 10 of them and there's two girls and they're like, they were too close together. It's like, why are we like becoming like, especially in New York city, I wouldn't be fucking going to anybody's business and giving them a summons. (laughs) Sorry. You know what? Form a coalition, man. Let's get a lawyer. And who's to say that you don't spend, you don't live with that person that you're standing right next to. And you've been together through this whole lockdown, but now you're outside together. Yeah, that business that wants to start open again, and that you used to go there and get your meat for the barbecue, you're going to go and give him a fucking summons right now because he decided to open up again. Because, listen, yeah. if everybody follows the guidelines, what we're doing right now, what, is it, what does it make a difference? If I'm getting a haircut... If I want to go, like if if I'm uh, if Steve Deshami, I need to get my my nails done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get them done <laughs> myself. I take my nail clip and I do <laughs> my feet. Though I do get taken care of. Do they have what any, I'm saying, though, it's like what are we doing right now? Why are we bust? Like, listen, these people are starving right now, and there's no end in sight. If you look at it politically, there's one side that's trying to keep this fucking thing going for as long till till every single person. There's not one fucking dime left. So you can come in and save the day. That's well, all you want to do is destroy this economy until there's not one fucking dime well, left for anybody. That's coming from. That, that, that's a legacy they want to throw, throw on Trump. And I don't care what anybody says about that. That's a legacy they're trying to throw at this administration that you're the reason that this economy failed. Yeah. Meanwhile, that who's behind? Each state has their own governor and their own governor's doing what they want to do. So, well, look at Florida. Florida, they shit on the fucking governor. Meanwhile, you got a, a lower rate of death rate. You got a lower rate of the... Uh, now, mind you, you guys are all spread out. But over here in New York, this guy is being hailed as a... As a he should run for president. He, he put people... Over 500 people died because they stuffed them in uh, nursing homes. Oh, Old people that had nothing to do with any of this that were in a safe haven. He didn't know where his ventilators were. 20,000 of them, they found in the next day. 300,000 face masks. Somebody walked out the back door. He's going to get the state police on them. He's a fucking disaster. Yeah. But because he could put two words together, all of a sudden they want him to be president. Dude, he's a shut the rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, listen, we're approaching two hours right now. Hey, take it easy, man. We haven't even scratched the surface with this guy. Has he asked to go off the air? Keep going, man. Keep going. <laughs> you know what? Listen, we 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 got an, the audience stuck with us uh, long enough. 
Well, you want to have uh, he's, got, he's got huge fans. Are they running? If they want to fucking leave, they can just shut off the computer. Keep going, Steve, man. Steve, you got anything to do right now in Florida? It, yeah. If, um, if, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm here alone. We want to get you in studio. <laughs> I think we yeah, could that do this. Fun. I think we could do it again. And you come down. We got a beautiful studio now, and uh, you'd love it, man. And you get a chance to come back to New York. Maybe we hit a, a pub or two. I've been known to do that. You know, I've gone to a bar once or twice. Where's your studio at? Is it in New York, upstate? It's in the Sergeant's Benevolent Association office. You kidding me? Yeah, they built a beautiful studio for us. Yeah. Oh, fucking great. That's great. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. You got to see it. Yeah, they, it's uh, we got a we got an engineer, we got a producer. That's you know, great. We're, we're kind of hey, like, Steve, you know, Steve. Do you know we were chosen as the fourth rank law enforcement podcast to watch in 2020? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Big to do because there's got to be plenty of them out there. Yeah, because we're the real fucking deal. Fuck all these Maytagans from other police departments. <laughs> Well, well, we look to do it. Uh, what the word Maytagan means. <laughs> what we look to do is memorialize a lot of these great cops, uh, such as yourself. You know, I mean, you got the TV show, so but there, I mean, how many don't have that? Where you know, you get that extended career, but they did a lot of great work. They're heroes. They're uh, hall of famers, and we get them on here. We talk about where they grew up and what they did and how they got on the job. And mostly what they did after the job. And, you know, we've had a lot of, um, I can't tell you how many people went on to great things after the job. And you're one of them. You're like, you just. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you would have told me. You've been able to put together. Yeah. If you would have told me I'd be still be talking about doing this show in 2020, I, I would have never thought in a million years. Hey, you, Steve, know. you know what they say on the police department? Your balls have been dipped in butter. <laughs> they have been dipped in butter. You know, we had a guy. Do you know the guy Mike Heinrichs? Yeah, I know Mikey. I know Mikey in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah we had him on a show. What general, a, what a general. A cop he was, man. That guy. That guy's been in more shootings than fucking. Uh, you know, he's with any of his movies. Inside his body, you know. You can't even get rid of the lead, you know. But what a what a we had him on our show. What a fucking great guy, man. He's great, fucking great, yeah, Mike. Low key, man. Low key. How about you? Do you know Walter Wazalewski? Sure, I do. I know Walter from Midtown North, right? Or Midtown oh, South. Walter, man. He I know everybody, cuz come on. Holy shit! Oh, you run in the fucking gambling in the precinct? Oh, you don't know? worry about it. I was doing a lot of things. Hey, back in the don't worry about it. Hey. Went to a, went to get a pension loan. They came to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a good joke, Steve. Listen, man, we're looking <laughs> to go. Joke. We're going national. We're busting out. Police no, that's a fucking out. great joke. What a great joke. I went to get a pension loan. They came to me. Police <laughs> <laughs> off the cuff is going fucking national. We're busting oh, out. All these I hope so. You guys, this is a fun night. You know, I do radio shows all the time. I never really get to talk about this stuff. You know, it's you always know about because the guys who interview you are fucking cunts. No, they're not. They just, <laughs> they, you know, what it is everybody's got their own thing. They're into the paranormal. That's their thing, and they want to talk to me about the show and what what's going on with the show. And I get it. You know, it's like, you know, 
I talk to him and I tell him every time I said, just so you know, I have nothing to say about the paranormal. And we wind up just bullshit most of the time and yeah. talking about how I got on the show, like we talked about earlier and stuff like that. But, you know, everybody's this this shows out there for everybody. If you go through some of these podcasts, it's like like I play drums. Right. So I, I listen to all these podcasts with Kenny Aronoff or, or, or Steve Gadd or all these old time, you know, drummers that are, you know, yeah. are still out there. And that's what I find interesting. So everybody's got their thing. So the guys that love cops and likes to hear about cop stories, they, they come on to this show. And everybody loves a good cop show, you know, story. I mean, how many cop shows are on TV? Think about yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't know if, 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 like, I even, when I watch Blue Bloods, I want to fucking vomit. Because it's just. I don't watch any of those shows. They always throw that liberal horse shit into these cop shows. And I, I've met one liberal in my life on the police department. And you know who he is. Yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking about? It wasn't well liked either. <laughs> yeah, no. And like, you know, most cops are conservatives because they see the way the world really is, you know? Yeah. And liberals have no clue. No. You know? they have no I mean, it's one of those things where like uh, Steve started off the show with saying, you know, it's a uh, liberal is uh, it's uh, until the gets a liberal that got robbed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when you run the job, look at look at uh, CCRB. A lot of these people that they recruit for CCRB, they want to hang everybody. And then they then they listen to a half a dozen, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred bullshit fucking reports that were made out. And all of a sudden, you know, they're on your side because they realize it's fucking bullshit. Yeah. You know, um, but that being said, man, I uh, listen, uh, I don't know about you, Bill, but I'm thinking we, you know, two hours in, we save some for uh, for another day. Yeah, Steve. I just uh, I just wanted to really thank you for coming on the show. I think this was fantastic. We could probably go for another two hours because we just were cops. Yeah. As long as we keep the alcohol flowing, we'll talk shit <laughs> for, for ages, you know. But you were yeah. great, man. I, I, mean, I appreciate. I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of yeah. fun. I saw everybody else on the show. I'm like, hey, when am I getting on? <laughs> well, like I said, Steve, we'd love to have you in the studio. Too yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna arrange a day once once this thing is over. Well, we'll arrange a day when you can. Back to normal, and I gotta come up to New York for some kind of. Uh, I gotta go up there for a few things, so maybe we can coordinate when I'm up there, and then uh, do it while we're there in the studio. That'd be great. That'd yeah, be if you great. come to New York, no matter when it is, we'll set up a time to get you come down there and, and drop uh, your 16 bars. There we go. There we go. And and I mean that in a rap sense and and in a drinking sense. You can even you can even bring your drum set and start banging out some Italian rhythms. You know, I just bang my head with the sticks. That's what I need to do. That'll get me going. <laughs> appreciate you guys having me on. It was Billy, it was good to see you again. Dave, you're the best, man. I love you. Best, appreciate hey, Steve, it, man. All the best to you. God bless you. And I'm writing you in the script. I got a nice part for you. Excellent. <laughs> it's called a queen for a day. It's a beautiful <laughs> script. It's fucking hilarious. You're going to love it. And if you come down, maybe you could be sit down and you could be part of the table read. We'll, we'll coordinate. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's coming soon. So, uh, listen, thanks for uh, coming on uh, Police Off the Cuff. And to all your fans that tuned in tonight, uh, thank you for, for coming on, even if it was just to watch Steve. But if you really enjoy Cop Stories, we have 63... Uh, maybe 65 episodes of phenomenal uh, detectives. Um, we got uh, reporters. We got uh, uh, 
scholars, all everything that is involved with police work, uh, law enforcement, homicides, great, 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 phenomenal stories. And Steve is one of them. And I, I'm happy to have you on, Steve. Appreciate you guys having me. You know, all, right, just all the best. Hey, before you go, Steve, you got a boat? Do I have a boat? Yeah. I got a fucking kayak. That's about as big of a boat as I got. Yeah, I want to go go fishing off your boat. I got a sit on the front. Of I, I got a dock. I got a nice pole for you. Come down here. <laughs> I'm coming down. I'm coming down. I'm going to visit you, Steve. We'll rent the canoe for the day. The three You're going to be like, who's this big fucking dude coming down here? <laughs> Imagine seeing him on your fucking Ninja Coastal with his Marine Corps tattoos, with his fucking <laughs> kayak. Come with on. A with a cigar like this. Cigar. Oh, I took If you laugh, but hey, I do. I'm going back. Hey, yo. Yeah. People are fucking petrified of me over here. I don't know what their problem is, but they're fucking... They look at me, they don't run into their fucking homes. They get the kids out of the pool. All righty, then. So that, that, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, uh, Bill, any parting words? No, I just... Steve, thank you very much, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, love you, brother. Love you too, pal. Thank hey, you. Steve, uh, as soon as you find out when you guys just start filming again and when you're going to start airing again, please let us know. We'll share Absolutely. with our fans. And we'll, I know you got a lot of fans, but we'll get you some more. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, After Hours, this was great, man. I had a great, great time. Please tune in again, man. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks for coming Thanks, in. Thanks, guys. <laughs>
Yeah, I think it went smooth. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I know, but I, you know, at some point you're gonna lose his audience, and then. No, no, it was good. Uh, it was good. You got to leave him wanting more, you know. No, it's good. It's good because, you know, I was looking at some of the comments and they're like, oh, we love this real NYPD talking, you know what I'm saying? And, uh... yeah, it was good. It was really good. I think we did a great job. You know, we gave him. Listen, nobody was stepping on each other. Um, you know what I'm saying? Nobody was trying, like, it, it's one thing if, like, you got a great guest like that, and me and you were trying to, like, highlight ourselves, but we didn't do that. We highlighted him. Yeah, but you know as well as I do that a, a lot of different people would, would fucking, you know, they would take advantage of that and, like, try to show off their personalities to steal his audience. But I think we played it smart. We let him fucking do his thing. And we just piggybacked, we just piggybacked. Oh, really? Oh, that's good. I feel, yeah, man, my heart goes out to him. Oh, good. Uh -huh. No, it's fucking great. I, listen, it was good. I, 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 you don't want to take advantage of your audience by staying on too long, but I think it was perfect. Yeah. And to listen for just one hour, you know, it, would, it wouldn't have been enough. Well, yeah, and they definitely got a chance to see another side of him. You know, there he's home. He's got a goatee. He's not investigating the fucking thing. You talk about his uh, past. We talked about the show a little bit, but we also covered... Um, his career, it was perfect. I think we, um, 